I've been here before. You've been, been here before? I grew up here on the island. And there was this thing, this Dharma initiative. And then I moved away with my mum. Just my mum. And I never saw my dad again. And then when I got back to England, I would ask my mum about this place yeah but she would say that it wasn't real and that I'd made it up <laughs> that's why I became an anthropologist to find this island again that's what I've been searching for my whole life Charlotte <coughs> why are you telling me this I remember something now when I was little living here there was this man this crazy man and he really scared me and he told me that I had to leave the island and never ever come back he told me that if I came back I would die Charlotte I don't understand. Daniel, I, I think that man was you. is over but we have to go back down the hatch it's the lost recap podcast here on post show recap sock in season five episode five this place is death i'm josh wiggler i'm joined here by mike bloom death so is there like a cultural touchstone by death, which you that's base maggie that? Oh, yep. Oh, actually, you know what? I'm very happy you brought that up because, Josh, you and I have been on the same wavelength so much. So much so that I was ready to come in and say that this place is death. Yes. I actually had <laughs> the sound pulled. And I was wondering last week, like when Josh was going on that, is he doing Grandpa Simpson yeah. in Who Shot Mr. Burns Part 2? Yeah. J- if he doesn't, let me pull this clip so high at my comparison. So I am so happy that we ended up backing into being <laughs> on the same wavelength here. Do we have the full clip of the scene? Like, what is he? What's uh, this is a great classic simpsons moment where grandpa yeah, so, simpson and lisa are talking about death right yeah where basically grandpa says like uh you know oh because they're talking about mr burns being shot and he's death like you is know, all around you lisa. yeah like you have to be hyper vigilant <laughs> when you're my age death is all around you oh death and he's just yeah. pointing at maggie then he points at the cat then he, he points, points at, at the maggie lamp again. right and then and then he points at maggie and lisa that's maggie again uh yeah. that's my favorite part 
Class, classic Grandpa Simpson in classic. This is also, I believe, a few minutes either before or after uh, he reveals that the outhouse is broken, and by outhouse he means the, the tool shed that Homer is using. <laughs> so it's a big episode uh, for Grandpa Simpson. But yes, yeah. death is all around us, both here on the island as well. We're all Grandpa Simpson right now, Josh. I mean, I I can't think of this place as death without thinking of Grandpa Simpson. Uh, It's never been able to happen for me before. Every time I hear the episode titled, This Place is Death, I can only think of Abraham Simpson. Um, And that's great. I have no regrets. Uh, It doesn't alter the episode for me in any meaningful way other than (laughs) I have a big laugh every time I approach it, which I guess is probably not uh, the tone this episode is going for. What are you talking about? A guy's (laughs) arm falls off? It's a laugh a minute, Josh. I mean, I think falls off is probably not exactly accurate to what happens to frickin' Montan's arm. By the way, um, I want to just give a quick acknowledgement to the Ben behind the curtain who uh is, without whom these podcasts are not possible uh collates so much of what we do here behind the scenes on down the hatch and spoiler alert you're gonna see montan showing up in the lvps later in this episode uh, but not his arm and ben uh messaged me to say um no lvps for montan's arm and I guess hot take, Montan's arm is the best thing about Montan. That guy yeah. sucks. Yeah, I mean, uh, from my recollection, uh, the arm is not sexist. The arm is not bullheaded. Uh, the arm does not necessarily walk in with this, like, toxic energy uh, that will become, I'm assuming, so- further toxic when he makes his way into the tunnels. It's an interesting concept, though, which brings up another uh, Simpsons discussion in a previous episode, Bart asks, uh, you know, if, if someone gets their leg amputated, does the leg go to heaven alongside the person? This does beg the question, are Montand and his arms different concepts from an LVP perspective? No, I'm calling, I'm calling, I'm grouping it all together. Uh, Montand's arm is part of Montand, who's going to be very worthy of LVP points this week, because that guy sucks. He's yeah, it's horrible. one of those things that you're like, all right, I'm, I'm okay that the monster took you. I think you know? it's and, pretty, and- pretty great that uh, Montand and Arst connect to each other, because they're both super douches. But one is like, I don't know, like kind of like, in, like a love to hate character in Dr. Leslie Arst, and Montan just sucks. Well, the interesting thing though is Montan is technically a candidate. His name is on there, and I think we can certainly get into like how is Smokey able to sort of skirt the rules a bit and bring some harm to Montan, but I don't know what Jacob saw in this guy, to be honest. Yeah. Uh he so he's on like the cave wall or in the lighthouse? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um I don't know. Violation. Better, call, better so. call the TVA. There's a violation going on here. Of course, this is down the hatch talking. This place is death coming your way on a Friday, June 11th. Or if you are a patron of Post Show Recaps, a little bit early as you get early access to episodes of Down the Hatch coming your way June 9th. I want to give a shout out uh, to, uh, to Chuck. A uh, new patron, Chuck, who was sent our way by Forrest Gump, uh, reached out to say, <laughs> Forrest Gump sent me here. Chuck, <gasps> we will be in touch. Uh, Forrest yes. Gump will be in touch. Uh, and I will extend that offer uh, for anybody who wants to sign up for the Post Show Recaps Patreon this month. You may hear from Forrest Gump if you sign up and let us know that Forrest Gump 
sent you here. Uh, that's, so could, the, that's the specific terminology, though. This is like the are you him yes. of down the hatch at the moment. Forrest Gump sent me here. Gump. Uh, you got to spell it right. Uh, go to patreon.com slash recaps. We'll see what happens. Something will happen. Uh, give it some time, but something is definitely <laughs> going to happen. Uh, so that's, uh, that's on offer. Patreon.com slash recaps at any level you choose. Uh, of course, we are on the journey towards 550 patrons for the month of June so that Mike Bloom can launch French Mike Bloom, a <laughs> podcast in which Mike Bloom learns French. Gotta be honest, I don't think it's gonna happen, would be my guess. So, uh, I'm, I'm so glad you said that, because one of our own, Jessica Lee's firmly like just roasting me over the flames you. on social media this mm-hmm. week being like you know you can just do things without making bets about them well i'm in Eggtown, baby yokes on me there's a chance it might not happen we're, we're on you know june almost mid-june by this point and, and we're, we're we're a little shy from our goal I'm, I'm 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 guessing it's not gonna go down uh but i'm not going to give up the dream until it's official uh. <laughs> hey now, hey now, don't dream it's over. I was thinking we would recap episodes of Muzzy. Uh, we could recap like Muzzy Lessons could be fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I'm going to be very curious to know what uh, pre-French class Mike Bloom thinks of like the first quarter of this episode of Lost, because so much of it is dealing with Danielle Russo and the French party in another world, Mike, when like in five years, we decide to like fully reboot down the hatch and just do all of these episodes all over again. <laughs> uh, you will like be like translating, not just this, but also like the map. Who needs, oh, yeah. who needs Shannon? Uh, exactly. I'm going to be singing La Mer, yeah. Uh, but yeah, but I'm going to be able to also like criticize their French, right? I'd be like, well, actually Robert did not use the past participle yeah, correctly. Be great. Speaking about gin. It's going to be great. Uh, the past participle would be a great name for one of these time travel episodes. Well, uh, listen, uh, we're nearing the end of that era very, very soon. So yeah, we're we're not like fully there. I mean, certainly we will be in the the Dharma Initiative days for the vast majority of the rest of the season once that activates. Um, but as far as like the hopping around all over time, that's going to end this week. Uh, next week, you know, is we're now like dealing with the present timeline and the return to the island. After that, we're going to do some Jeremy Bentham, and mm-hmm. then we're in Lafleur, which will be the end of like the the constant time hopping. And it's just like I think like two more. No, De- hops. Desmond's not hopping through time anymore. Don't worry. We're gonna we're gonna have to see the uh, we'll have to see the the four toed statue from behind, and then we go to the seventies. I believe is how it works. Maybe there's one other in there, but I think that that's that's it. Otherwise. It is ending here at episode five. And Mike, before we even get into the podcast, just to bring this in from Daniel Brennan, Daniel Brennan asked, is there any other moment or time period you would have wanted our characters to jump to? Um, Do you think, Mike, that with the time traveling sort of in a way ending here in episode five, is this enough? Did we not do it enough? Like, where do you where do you land with that? Yes, it's tough because the plotting in this episode was starting to build it to a critical mass, right? Where we jump through maybe four or five different time periods over the course of an episode. So in order to say, I want more time travel, you'd have to sort of like restructure the episodes a bit. However, that's kind of what I like to do. Maybe it's just because I I forgot how much fun this first stretch is. Again, particularly with the on-island stuff. 
the off-island stuff, maybe we could talk about uh, they're, they're taking their time while the, everyone else is, is unstuck in time. But it really presents a lot of fun opportunities, especially when we're doing so much extrapolation about the mythos of the show about certain time periods to revisit. You know, there are definitely some at, at the top of mind. Uh, you know, I would have loved to see, we're going to get it in flashback form, but I would love to see some more of like Charles Winmore, Alan Dale's Charles Winmore as leader of the Island. We're going to get it in the form of speaking of another Danielle Rousseau moment, the with the wig choices that came during the kidnapping of Alex Rousseau that we're going to see at some point in, in season five. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think that again, if we're supposed to be building up Charles Winmore, especially as like now someone who has a connection to the Island, I think that could have been pretty interesting. But one of my hot takes about this episode, Josh is I'm a little disappointed that we kind of yada yada through the French expedition my hot take is I would not have been mad if there was an entire episode dedicated to the French expedition, personally. Um, I don't think that that's wrong. I think that th- I could have spent more time here as well. Um, I don't know that I needed to spend more than an episode, and I think I'm ultimately pretty good with the amount of time that we spend here, especially because there is a lot more to do this season of, of Lost. Right, There's yeah, so much going out. on. My implica- my implication would be like if we got more than sixteen episodes, right? Uh, if we could squeeze in an extra one, that's just like all about because we'll talk about it later. You know, I uh, especially now that we know what the sickness is in retrospect, uh, I do think we missed an opportunity when we sort of yada yadded over that. That could have been a fun opportunity before we get into Saeed to really see what the implications of that are. Uh, but yeah, I, I would not if it means okay. Now we have to dial back on other elements of season five. I'm not sure if we could do it, I don't but know if I'm where giving you, free I don't rent. know where you cut it. Um, the, yeah. the episode that is probably um, the biggest, as you like to say, nothing burger um, that is coming up. There's like two candidates, haha, for me. Maybe, maybe even three. Um, I think you're looking at like Namaste, Some Like mm-hmm. It Hoth, and Follow the Leader. And Some Like It Hoth, like I want that Miles episode, so I don't want to touch that. And I think like it's a fairly light episode in some ways. Um, with the Hurley stuff that like I I miss that in season five and it comes in at the exact right time. I think yeah. Follow the Leader is one of those great like um uh in theory part ones of a finale. Like it's exactly. sort of like it's, it's it's very much like uh through the looking or not uh there's no place like home part one, right? Where it's sort of like all the elements gathering before and the fuse gets lit at the end of the episode. I think that there's probably a world in which like much of what's going down with three one six and Namaste and he's our you. Those three could get condensed into two episodes. But I love he's our you, and I don't want to see anything bad happen to that. So I just don't know where you make the room. I'd be curious for people's takes. Um, but I think uh, I I really love getting to see Danielle Russo's past, and I love yeah. I love uh, the way that they chose to do it. It it is such a blind side, right? That like we kept thinking that we were going to get a Russo flashback someday. She dies on the show. We get really surprised by that. And then we do time travel, and Jin is here with Danielle. Um, and so we do at least get to see the story. And I wonder just like how much more you absolutely needed, especially considering in, I believe it's going to be in Dead is Dead, we will get more to this story, uh, even if it's just like the, the Alex is taken away. Like, I bet Chronologically Lost conveys this in a way um, that makes it feel like its own little chunk of story. Uh, that that plays fairly straight up. So I think like you could cobble together the Danielle Rousseau 
episode. That would almost be really interesting as an experiment if it hasn't been done yet, Mike, mm. to like take like solitary uh, or mm. like certain and, and, turn, and turn it into a Rousseau flashback right. episode. Right. I think that'd be a fun editing experiment. Yeah, and I think, well, especially because this calls back to Solitary in so many ways, right? Like, that's when Rousseau, we're going to see the the music box here. We're obviously going to get the incident that she describes to Saeed about why she's learned to sort of take the firing pin out of a gun. That's why I really enjoyed this episode, is because, you know, despite the fact that we, we no longer have Mira Furlan playing Danielle Rousseau, like, her spirit lives on. And I really like seeing this through Jin's eyes, in particular, uh, because... I mean, here's another weird thing about this episode is that technically it's Jin and Sun Cetric, though it, it really it's, isn't. It's so arbitrary at this point. This is why I, I really know. am thinking like we're unstuck from centricities, you know, for the most part at yeah. this point in the in the season. We're really like we're divided across two points in time, and that is sort of like that's the thing. Like, yeah, is it like largely leaning on two characters? Sure, but it's not like you know, it's it's not a Jin and Sun episode. I don't think. No, if anything, I'd say it's a Jin and Locke episode, actually. Yeah, in Um, in many ways, it's a Locke episode, I think is right. But I think seeing that sort of love story through Jin's eyes, when he makes this decision, the sacrificial decision at the end, that's why they call it sacrifice, uh, for him to say, you know, either tell Sun I'm dead, or if she asks, don't answer correctly, John Locke. It's because he has seen firsthand the sort of like toxic effects on the island and what it can do to true love and so i think watching Jin's journey the jinny that doesn't sound Ooh. right through, <laughs> through this episode it's no forest gump i'll give you that uh I, I think it's it's a really nice character beat in an episode that i honestly feel like maybe lacking a bit more on character beats to, than my liking especially compared to last episode i think it's it's a really interesting pivot or or sequence for the character to go through that of all the characters to watch danielle rousseau have to kill her husband to have someone's husband watch it happen is is a very fun choice absolutely um before we continue and do the recap let's take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode of down the hatch those are our friends over at geico do you own or rent your home sure you do and I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. Let's talk about This Place is Death, directed by Paul Edwards. It's a Kitsis and Horowitz joint. It aired. Yeah, it's a surprisingly Hurley absent. You know, I would imagine they try to squeeze him in there, considering it's the two of them penning it. Uh, it aired February 11th, 2009, and it begins at least with Sun. Uh, as Sun is in the car, she's like watching the scene where everybody's meeting at the marina, and she gets a call from her mother, and she gets yeah, remember, to have... Remember, remember, remember this throwback when you used to be able to associate pictures with caller ID? I guess you still can, but I feel like smartphones sort of did away with that. I think that's right. Um, so Sun is going to have a conversation with her mother and with Ji Yeon, and I think this is their final conversation as far as we ever see. <laughs> their first and only conversation we've ever seen. <laughs> uh, I do think uh, that that's it, and poor Ji Yeon's like, come home, mom, and she's never going to do that. It does beg the question, what has she told Ji Yeon about her father? 
Mm. Right? Because, like, obviously she's going to ask, we're going to find out what, you know, the narrative that Jin wants to get across. What do you think Sun inevitably told Ji on when she's like, hey, where everyone else has a dad, where's my dad? I don't know. I have no idea. Um, yeah, no, no idea. I mean, how old is Gion at this point? So pro- She's three probably years about old, two or th- yeah, two or roughly. three. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure. One thing, one thought that I did have was like I keep, I kept like going back to like, why does it have to be Sun? You know, she's like one of the most powerful people in the world now. She owns Pike Industries. <laughs> Um, she's she's about to launch herself into space you know right oh god into the uh, sun yes uh and so like why why does she have to be here in la to do this and i started thinking about it a little bit more and it kind of made me sad that i think it's like she knows the story of Jin. she thought Jin was something and like on the island obviously they became closer again and she like came to understand more about like Jin's circumstances and i kind of feel like sun taking this on herself to go and assassinate Ben, it's like she doesn't want to put this on anybody. Like, she doesn't mm. want to put anyone through their version of, like, a Jin and Son uh, pre-island experience. It's a, That's a really interesting perspective, because I'll admit I'm starting to find myself sort of questioning, just from a writing perspective, some of Son's thinking here, because here's something that I didn't even realize. Josh, this episode is going to be the first time that Sun Quan and Benjamin Linus end up speaking yeah. in Lost. It's, so it's, it's a weird idea that you, you, I don't know, I guess you make an assumption of like, oh yeah, she's going to kill Ben. Uh, but they've never actually really met each other before. And this will not be the last time we'll talk about that factoid over the course of this episode. Not only that, you know, Sun is going to go on and, and, and blame Ben for Jin's death. But is that more like a, oh, if they hadn't gone to the island to look for, for you know, him in the first place and all this wouldn't happen? Or does she know about the dead man switch, which wouldn't make any sense because she was gone at that time. And I believe at this point, Locke is the only one who was there right. for the dead man switch stuff. So there, there are some things that I think the more you talk about this with, with uh, a lot of this coming to the island stuff, the more you sort of pick at it, uh, the more it, it sort of falls apart in your hands. But I really like that idea from a thematic perspective of she has suffered so much tragedy so much loss i think is is a good term for it and she is almost like loss prevention for other people at this point by not only quote-unquote getting revenge but also wiping someone off the board that can be incredibly dangerous to other people that she at least remotely cares about yeah um so she's got aaron in the back seat he's just passed out He's just chilling. <laughs> she, 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 she plays like a mirror under his nose or something to make sure everything's okay. Yeah. Did she trank those eggs too much? I don't know. Uh, but anyway, Gian asks her to come home. Son never will. She gets out of the car and comes forward as Kate's screaming her head off at Ben. And uh, there is a development. Let's listen in. Sound number one. Why don't you leave me and my son alone? Because he's not your son, Kate. Move away, Kate. Son. I said move away. Son, what are you doing? Where is Aaron? He's in the car. Son, listen. I know you think you're helping. If it wasn't for you, Jin would still be alive. I didn't kill your husband, son. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. Neither did anyone else. Because he's not dead. You're lying. No, son. Jin's still alive. 
and I can prove it. Here's your ring. That's the proof. Yeah. So this is like the big like uh, off island mystery of the episode is like because we as the viewer now know that Jin is alive. We saw that happen last week. And now we're going to like, how are we possibly going to get Sun to the island? You have to present her with the possibility that Jin is alive. Um, So that is the off island story engine for this episode. And it is a weaker one. Uh, I think yeah. it's just it's like very it's it's very twenty four esque, right? It takes place over the course of maybe half an hour plus traffic. Yeah, but there the, the plus traffic is is critical because uh, that's something that twenty four never ever deals with, and I love the acknowledgement <laughs> of it on this show where it's like you said it would take thirty minutes. It's like I didn't account for traffic. It's L A. What do you want? Even if it's nighttime, it's going to take forever to get yeah, anywhere. Listen, don't, don't yell at ways, okay? Don't yeah. listen. Don't, don't yell at your Tom Tom. Uh, friendly Benjamin Linus here, yeah. like it's not his fault. Yeah, so that's hysterical. But I do think, like of of the off island stories that we've gotten so far, it feels a little slimmer. I think is correct. Mm. Uh, I don't think that that's incorrect. Um, but it does have. There is a scene here that I that I adore. Uh, that is uh, that is going to be coming up not terribly long from now. But like, it is just like worth establishing. Like, what is going on off island in this one? Sun is on a 30-minute car ride to find out that Ben has Jin's ring in his pocket. Um, and, I mean, I guess it is it is provocative in the context of, like, where we last saw that ring and the revelation that Ben and Locke did have contact before Locke died. So that, like, starts paving the way for, like, the big Jeremy Bentham reveal. Um, so I, I don't mind that. And the other thing I don't mind is that I do think, by and large... The on-island stuff in this episode is uh, really strong, like very, very strong. But I think that the off-island stuff in this episode, if not being like straight up weak, is definitely weaker. Yeah, just because outside of that, there's really not much to it. Even the final scene, we'll talk about the ending. It's very vague. And it's one of those things that's like, oh, so exciting on the surface. And then, but now I think in context, we're like, yeah, it wasn't really worth the setup at that point, which is fine. Again, there, there's some really strong odd island stuff or off island stuff last week, and it seems like I think we're really going back and forth, right, between which is the more prominent piece, the on island part of the episode or the off island part of the episode. This is the off islands episode off, uh, essentially, but I, I think it is a little bit weaker, especially compared to everything else. The the use of the ring is, you know, very thematic. I think we'll talk about it later, but I mean, linking this back to Ooh and Found, uh, or I guess, yeah, Ooh and Found, the, the season two episode, right, where Sun loses her wedding ring. The idea of a ring and what it sort of symbolizes to them is a thematic connector between these characters. But I think when you boil it down to plot, yeah, there's there's really not much there. It, it is fairly scant. Here's a question. So, you know, like you said, it's going to be set up here that Ben reveals Jin is alive. How would you feel about moving this first scene into the Little Prince? If we if we either before everything with Jin being rescued or like in the middle of it instead of necessarily opening. I don't know how you restructure it, but I'm not mad at the idea. Like in theory, I think um, uh, I think like grouping, you know what it reminds. It does remind me of like that string of season two where we're just like seeing the like the hatch exploration from a thousand different angles. It's like just like the 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 Rashomon. Yeah, just give us the story. Um, 
So I like I'm I'm pretty good with the idea that this like gets condensed with that. I just think that like then like layering that with the reveal of like Jin uh being on the piece of wreckage and then the Danielle reveal, it's just a lot of reveals. So I do wonder about the pacing like um where uh you know where necess- does this necessarily um fall um but let's fall back let's go back to the island let's go back in time to 1988 yes. let's watch some more of daniel day kim's horrifically chapped lips this poor man i know he's like he's looking really really rough he's just like he's like time burned he's sunburned he's just like brutal yeah, yeah he is burned because sun is gone yes he is burned because sun is gone he's trying to piece what's going on together he's had like this is tough for Jin, who already has the language barrier uh, but now also like the time barrier uh, yeah. is difficult. Though, though it should be noted that season five is really when Jin's fluency in English is going to pick up. Yeah. Right. Like I, you're, I was trying to remember what is, is there a specific point in ha 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 time when Jin is going to be able to, you know, get into the seventies when we see him three years later and is like, pretty darn good at the English language. And I think it's starting in this moment where there is still a little bit of back and forth. You know, Robert has to draw the radio tower in the sand pretty crudely for, for Jin to understand. But I noticed in this episode in particular, Jin's got a good amount of words down. I guess all that counseling with Sawyer in the jungle helped back in season three. Yeah, I think so as well. Uh, he's trying to piece together everything. He's like, I was on a boat. And then uh, I believe it's Montana's like, he was on a boat, then a helicopter. Next thing you know, he's going to be talking about a submarine. I'm pretty sure that's exactly what Montan sounds like. He's a yeah. turd, this guy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how he ends up making his way onto the boat. Maybe it's like his dad's boat. You yeah. know, that sounds like Montana's like, well, we'll take my dada's yacht to my explore dada. this island. Yeah. Oh, uh, no, sorry. My papa's yacht. Yeah, stupid Montan. Montan says, like, where's the radio tower? You guys have got to have a radio tower in this island huh and jen's like how do you oh my god what's going on and he's like is yeah. this part of the uh but no one's told me about whatever happened happened like what's going on he's just like tripping out i think pretty hard uh that Jin uh is is in the middle of all of this the one anchor is that he knows who danielle Rousseau is and so when he sees pregnant young danielle who i think kills it in this episode by the way it's another reason why i want to see more of this french crew but when she like you know kisses robert Jin just has this pit in his stomach Right, because he's like, oh, I, I've heard this story before. I know what happens next. I do not want to be around for this whenever the hell I am. Yeah, so he, he doesn't know how to get back to his camp from here, but he does know how to get to the radio tower from here. Which is weird, because yeah. he didn't go to the radio tower. Yeah, that doesn't fully add up for me either. Uh, but he knows how to get to the radio tower, apparently. Uh, and from the tower, he can get back to the camp. So he is going to uh, join them, lead the way, so that he can reunite with his wife. Um, as they're trekking through the jungle, yeah, we see a little bit of like this, like cutesy debate between the Russos, Danielle and Robert, talking about who uh, who her uh, what their child's name is going to yeah, be. And, and that was very much it rem- that reminded me of GE on right with like Jin being confident mm-hmm. that that it's a girl. Again, there's a lot of really interesting parallels between Jin and son and the Rousseau's here that I'm sure Jin himself is watching right now. Yes. Uh, so uh, that's going on. Is it Alexander? Is it Alexandra? Uh, everyone's thirsty and Nadine's got the canteen. But suddenly Nadine is missing and montand this turd box uh streaming now on netflix this turd box says <laughs> yeah where you just can't you can't see only montand can see and he has to guide you yeah he says uh 
this is what happens when you bring a woman. She's probably chasing a butterfly. Like, who are you? Uh, let me hold up my hand towards the butterfly and say, is this an asshole? And I'm talking about Montand. Uh, this guy sucks. He gets yeah, exactly I- what's coming, this dude. And I think it's at that moment, Jacob and Man in Black are just there sitting, and Jacob just gives Man in Black the silent nod of, yeah, kill this dude, yeah, it's think, fine. I think, like, Jacob's watching, and he's just like, ah, and he just crosses one name off of his yeah, list. Yeah, there's, there's one rule here, guys. Don't be an asshole, we so know, I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, I, if you want to canonize it that way, it's a very easy fix. Jacob does cross names off, right? Like, Kate yeah. was crossed off, and it's for reasons where Jacob is also a jerk. He's like, I didn't think you want to do it. You're a mom now. Like, okay, I'm a mom. I can't lead the island, too, Yeah, talk, talk about mo- antiquated views a la Montan. You know, so, like, I think... Uh, uh, Jacob could be like, yeah, you get to have Montan. That's fine. Um, the monster is flickering in the distance. Uh, Jin hears it. He's panicked. He's trying to lead them away. Uh, but they're like, no, we got to find Nadine. And Montan's like, shut up, Jin. We got to find our friend. Uh, and so they go and they find her backpack. And when they do, the monster is here and the monster drops Nadine from the tree trunks. And she mm-hmm. is, uh, she is. She is super dead, for sure. Yeah, uh, nice little throwback. You know, it doesn't go the full uh, Greg Norris, or whatever his name was, and Lan in the tree falls straight through. Also, it's, it's a bit of a throwback in many ways, Josh. I feel like it's been a while since we've seen the trees get uprooted. That is straight out of Smokey's playbook. It's clear that in this moment, this is Smokey attempting to introduce himself to some new people, and so he's going through the motions, right? Yeah. He's like, all right, let's go through the orientation manual. I pull up some trees. I make the chitter-chatter sound. Maybe I'll take you to my tunnels, and then we, we sort of make a relationship from there. Yes. Um. So Nadine is dead. Everyone's running. They go to the jungle. Monster grabs Montan by the ankle and could not drag him away fast enough. Yeah, and so now we sort of get to see what would have happened had Jack indeed let go of Locke in Exodus, right? Because Montan's going to get dragged down. We talk about this moment where his arm just gets fully ripped off, which is, I mean, this is an episode for for body horror, Josh, between this and what happens to John Locke. It's a big episode for the, the effects department as it were. But basically we start to see that like, Oh, this is almost like a, a wolf spider trap. You know, here's a hole in the ground and the Smokey's going to almost immediately take on the voice of Montand and try to trick people into going down there so he can infect them. Yeah. Um, so that, that is effectively what's, what's happening. We're going to, we're going to find out about the infection in uh bigger, in bigger terms in season six. Uh, and the infection is like if you let the monster woo you, uh, if he talks to you first, you are his now. Um, is that how you view what's happened to Montan? Or when Montan gets sucked under the temple and his arm is removed, are you like me thinking that this is an instant kill and now yeah. the smoke monster is taking on Montan's likeness? That's what I, that's exactly what I'm thinking. Because I believe at the beginning of season six, Hurley's going to find an armless body in the tunnels. So I think that's to imply that that is Montand. And I would imagine that like a good amount of blood loss happened in that moment that would cause Montand uh, to die. So I would just imagine that it's him taking on his voice. Though I will admit, Josh, during this part of the scene, I couldn't help but be reminded of Austin Powers with uh, Will Ferrell's Mustafa character, right? I'm like, I'm very, I'm alive, but I'm very badly burned. Someone please help me. You shot me. 
You shot me right in the arm. That's all I was thinking about with Montand. But I think in this case, he was indeed very dead, unlike Mustafa. Yeah. Um, so he is deceased. He's deceased. He's like, I'm, I'm hurt. I'm hurt. I'm gone. It's gone. Please. When he says it's gone, I think maybe he means his arm. <laughs> yeah, please. My arm is gone. Do you have it? Can you throw it down here? Can you lend me a hand in a manner of speaking? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that they could just like plug that back on. I don't think is exactly yeah, how that's going to work. Here. No, um, but Robert's like, all right, we got to go in. Robert's like, let's go in. We're going in. Rousseau, you don't go in. Jin tells Rousseau, not with the baby. Which, good, thank you, Jin, for doing that, because I know whatever happened, happened. But I mean, we would not have gotten many things happening over the course of Lost had Danielle Rousseau gone down there. Yes. Uh, so she doesn't go down. Neither does Jin. But Jin does go away. Because he travels through time. The sky turns white again. He's gone. And when he's back, he's still here. And we are at like the outskirts of the temple, which we'll see like bits and pieces of throughout the season. Yeah. And this is another thing as well, which is why I'm sort of like, I would have been fine with an entire French episode is because I believe this is the first flash through time that is only what, like two or three months later. At a certain point, I'm sort of like, eh, we didn't need to skip the middle part. You know, I don't want Jin to spend two months there necessarily, but I think you could spend at least a couple of days or a day there, make it accelerate really quickly. Uh, I don't know if we really needed the, and you know the rest of the story. Here's the end of it now. Yeah, uh, we don't need to see the rest, but we do travel through time, and Jin is able to like scamper back to like the beach to see if like maybe like did something weird happen? Am I going to be able to find everybody? And what he finds instead over the course of yet another time flash, are going to be uh, the the end of the French chick story, to, uh, in a manner of speaking, and something we've been waiting a long time to see, and is also going to reunite with an old friend. Let's listen in sound number two. Daniel, Je t'aime. Pourquoi j'ai tu comme ça Parce que t'es pas Robert. T'es malade. Ce monstre a rendu malade. Mais y a pas de monstre. C'est un système de sécurité qui garde ce temple, c'est tout. Maintenant, pose ton fusil. Je t'aime, Daniel. Je veux que rien ne nous arrive. À toi et à notre bébé. slowly.
Sawyer? <laughs> Kidding me? I thought you were on that boat. I thought you were dead. Uh, no, no. I, I, in water. <sighs> what do you say? <laughs> Where is son? In the sky. <laughs> Not here. Uh, I I love that. Well, what do you say? I, I love Josh Holloway's like falsetto. His head voice, like, well, what do you say? I feel like um, that's like Sawyer, uh, like disappearing for a minute, and like the actual Josh Holloway coming out. Uh, yeah, like, that feels a little out. bit like it, it doesn't necessarily seem like something Sawyer would specifically do, but that does feel much more like a Josh Holloway voice, which I'm totally fine with because again, uh, it, it's fun to watch the characters or the actors bleed through sometimes. And plus, this is the rare spot of good news that Sawyer has experienced in the past whatever portion of time you want to attribute to what they've been through so far in season five. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, it is like the one piece of good news for both of these parties in a long time. Um, they've just been tripping through time, many of them bleeding out the nose, their brains are getting scrambled, they're getting closer and closer to death with every single flash, but at the least, we've found friends! Yeah, which I'm happy about. I guess one of the advantages of spending only the first third on the French expedition is because it does get Jin back in with the group, so we don't necessarily have to deal with a separate party as well, like we did with Locke in the first few episodes. Going back to the end of the French stuff, though, I mean, I really do love that confrontation scene. Like you said, it's it's been a long time coming, but watching it happen, even though we know the ending, it still doesn't make it that less impactful. Like, to watch the manipulation happen, it is a really great setup for what is to come, not even in season six, but down the line. I, I personally think maybe this is me projecting, but we talk about all the seeds that have been planted with the Locke is the man in black twist. I feel like when Danielle says you're not Robert, you're someone else might be a hint at that as well. Again, I'm not too sure, but it's hinting like that towards me. But this idea of how, you know, this idea of the monster well, maybe a little bit of an initial antagonist has gone away a bit in lieu of your Benjamin Linuses, your Charles Widmores, your Kimis, etc. It's now bringing things back home to what's going to happen in season six of, oh yeah, this being is dangerous. It can really pollute the mind to make a guy want to shoot his wife point blank without yes. remorse. Yes. I think that's it's a it's a really important touchstone when we look ahead as to the influence that this character is going to have. Yeah, I think so too. Like we're, we're really defining what this, uh, now that we're going to, we're going to move on from the smoke monster being sort of this, like um, this, like this, this, this hazy nemesis in the jungle. Yeah. And to, more of an obstacle than a character. Right. To becoming a full on character. Um, so to like see some of that impact here in this scene uh, is really good. I, I really love that. And especially because it, it was like, um, you know, it really, it really is the kind of thing where we've been waiting uh, to find out, like, how did this go down? Like, the, to see the story, like, go down basically exactly as Danielle told it that one time uh, is, is, is really, really neat. I think, like, really well done. Uh, I, I enjoyed it greatly uh, watching it again this week. I think it's just it, it plays really, really, really well, sets up the man in black really well pays off this old storyline in a really great way. Um, and also I think like it is sort of like the funny, like losty thing of like, 
it's a security system. Like, you know, like trying to like sort of like clarify like uh, and why Rousseau thinks that. Like it's like she still like believes what uh, right. Robert told her. Yeah, remember that Danielle Rousseau was going to say that thing exactly on the expedition to the Black Rocks in, in Exodus. And now we know exactly where she got it from. That yeah, Despite it, the fact that she felt that Robert was not Robert, she like took something from him. And it could be that it's like, you know, I think to some extent, I think to like some extent, like it could be like you could read it later with Rousseau as like saying it's a security system is like sort of like an embittered memory of this. Uh, mm. Where like maybe she doesn't really fully know, um, <laughs> and they just have a bad job reading sarcasm on her. Yeah, I think that that's not impossible. Like you could you could ret, uh, retcon it that way in your in your head. But either way, uh, it's doing like that fun lost thing of just like trying to like re-justify something uh, yeah. from from the past. Something I'll say I appreciate about the episode overall, and it actually comes back to the title, is that I think it reminds us the danger. That comes with the island, because, again, I think we've forgotten about that for a good portion of time. We have focused more so on the people. It feels like it's been a while since we've really explored, like, the mysticism of the island, maybe touching on it briefly with the orchid. But, again, that was used more so as, like, a, a plot point than anything. And this is a reminder, I think, of just how incredibly wild this place can be in every sense of the word that you have these types of people that can get infected. We're going to have people dying from time sickness as well. And so it really does try to make the argument that there's, you know, these people shouldn't come back because danger might befall them over there. You know, it'll be out of the frying pan into the fire. Again, in, in, in long-term retrospect, maybe doesn't necessarily hold water, but we spoke about this last week with the time sickness. If you're trying to set up like, an internal conflict for the first mini arc of this season. I think it's an interesting point to be made of, yes, they want to come back to the island, but should they? Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not Sun, at least, according to Jin. Um, this conversation is going to ensue, where like Jin is going to ask Charlotte to basically translate, because he knows that she speaks Korean. Yeah, uh, a, little, a little bit of... we talk, well, Actually, I don't think we mentioned this in... Uh, I think it was something nice back home. A little bit of like the racist Sawyer towards Miles stuff is... Ugh. This has been a good season for Sawyer, but it's moments like this that are not fun. Like when he immediately turns to Miles, like, go ahead and translate for Jin. Right. And Miles has a really funny line back of like, he's Korean. I'm from Encino. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's Charlotte who's going to be the conduit. Uh, and they're all able to like kind of get on the same uh, page. And this is when uh, this is when uh, Jin is basically going to be like, wait, you're trying to leave. Bring our friends back. And you think that's going to change everything, but you're going to bring Sun back? And to that point, Locke is ballsy enough to respond, she never should have left. Yeah. She wasn't supposed to. None of them Which, I mean, considering that, again, like, everything that Jin has just gone through to make sure that Sun got off the island, huge slap in his his crinkly, chap lip face. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's not thrilled about this. Uh, he's 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 really displeased at this notion. We'll find out just how upset he's going to be later on. But John Locke, on it should be noted again, like the final hours of his time alive on the island, is very determined. Uh, we're in we're in this mode with John right now, where he's just like <laughs> he's locked in. You know, yeah. he's like locked in. Like we need to get to the orchid. We need to go down into the pit. 
We need to, whatever it is that Ben did, I need to do, and then I'm going to fix this. It's almost like um, in his... In his final moments, it's almost like he's Jack. You know, I think like an, mm-hmm. un, an underrated thing is we talk a lot about how Jack takes on the John Locke legacy. Um, and the, the other piece of that, I think, is that like Locke's whole final, final arc is he, much like Dr. Shepard, is going to like be desperate to fix something on his own. And like, you know, like kind of like wallow in the pity of an unfixable situation or a seemingly unfixable situation. So he's like he is just like in like full Jack mode as Jack himself is kind of like uh, drifting towards uh, deep lock territory. I think it's a a really interesting um, passing of the torch that does go both ways. That's a great point. And what I love about it, too, is that it's even accelerated from season one lock specifically like i got a a bunch of shades of the beachcraft when it came to navigating things with the well and we get this in the final conversation between lock and quote-unquote christian of yes you know back in the day lock would say boone was a sacrifice the island demanded and i think now he's sort of taken on this thing of sacrifice is something that i need to do because that's how important of a role i have to the island and again that's that feels more independent than he would have been several seasons back. I wouldn't say that he was necessarily like offering Boone up like a lamb to the slaughter. I think we talked about this, how Locke didn't, obviously did not mean for Boone to get into the state that he did with the Beechcraft and everything. But he comes around to believe, oh, I had to go through with this. I had to offer up somebody else because it's what the island wanted from me. Here, to your point, like with Jack, he, he wants to fix something. He's going to take it on himself. Uh, stubbornly he's not going to rely on somebody else to the point where people are saying let me go into that well with you he keeps pushing back and back and back saying no i'm going to be the one to do it that feels distinctly different to me than the john Locke we saw in season one yeah um all right so we go back to the future 2007 son still has the gun on bench like how do you know he's alive and ben says give me a half hour of your time i will show you proof yeah i also love kate just like really great GTFOing out yeah. of this, right? Like when, as soon as she hears that Aaron's tranked out in the back seat, she just goes immediately gets him and then just gets in the car, yells at Jack. Cause now it's implied that like Jack didn't mean anything that he said in the previous episode, that it was all manipulation tactic. We talked about this last week. I don't think that's necessarily in Jack's wheelhouse, but considering what happened in something nice back home, I think it's fine for Kate to be mad at Jack, but she just like immediately gets out of here. I'm done. Stop using my child as leverage, people. I need to leave. Yes. Uh, so Kate dips. Saeed's great. It's like, I want no part of this. <laughs> and, he, and he goes so forth as to basically say, if I see either one of you next time, I'm going to kill you. Yeah, he, he says this to Jack, right? Yeah. And I think, again, it's it sort of is going along with what Kate is, right? Of like, you're no worse than Ben mm-hmm. at this point. Of like, now you're in bed with this guy after everything he's done to us. I thought more of you, Jack. And in that manner of speaking, don't even talk to me. If you're going to keep working with this guy, then I'm going to treat you like you're this guy. Yes. Uh, so I I do. I just I love Saeed like kind of like not full on rage quitting this meeting, <laughs> uh, but like getting kind of close to it uh, is pretty, pretty good. Uh, love that. think that's great. 
Um, so Sun is going to sign on for this. If you've got proof, I can prolong killing you by a half hour. Sure. So lose two, gain one here. Yeah, seems fine. Um, back on the island, the the crew is still trekking through the jungle. Charlotte is looking rough. Yeah, I mean, Rebecca Mater, I think, tries to put in as much work as she can this episode for a character that I think I can fully say now that she is dead is a nothing burger. Uh, And I think it starts here with like the makeup on her, right? She is pallid and she is looking gaunt this entire episode. Yeah, she she's doing the best she can with a really tough, uh, tough, tough bit to play out. Uh, I think that this is this is hard stuff for anyone to do well, and I think yep. that Rebecca Mater is trying to be as game as humanly possible. And if you do watch like any of the behind the scenes stuff and them like sort of just like uh, dancing in place as they were like filming them like going through time, like she seems to have a really hilarious attitude about it. Uh, but it's just it it is a really. Uh, it's like it's almost like it's just it is like you said it's like there's like a body horror quality to this episode that almost undercuts the tragedy completely for me i gotta say because uh, it's just yeah. it is just so horrific uh everything that she's going through because like we go through two more jumps now right like uh they're trekking it's daytime then it flashes it's nighttime and then almost instantly it's another flash it's getting worse and at this point charlotte just drops and there she shall stay um yeah. and as she stays here everybody rushes to charlotte's side uh and we do get uh we do get the name of the episode in this moment mike sound number three let's play it uh, yeah. charlotte juliet yeah hello you Charlotte, can you hear me? Charlotte, Charlotte, Daniel, talk to me. What'd she say? Don't let them bring her back. No matter what. Don't let them bring her back. This place is dead. Not a great impression, she said but I the think the name of the episode. It's not a great impression, but you know what? I'll give her credit, considering that she is like it probably internally bleeding, and her mind is hemorrhaging at the moment. If if it's not a pitch perfect Dan Castellaneta voice, I'm okay with it. This place is death. It should also be noted, we didn't talk about it before, but Charlotte's obviously talking to Jin in Korean because everyone now knows that Charlotte can speak Korean! Yeah, I'm glad one of us did it. Uh, Yeah, she's like, yeah, poor Rebecca Mater as Charlotte's getting murdered by time travel. Uh, This is like, she's just, she's out of it. And it's really, it's a really tragic and horrific ending for Charlotte. And like, I don't know how you align this with so much of the rest of of Lost, right? Like, so much of the show is about we have to go back. Like, this place is our destiny. And for Charlotte, she's going to go on as we listen to at the top of this episode, right? She has dedicated her life to getting back here. Mm-hmm. 
And what did she come back for? <laughs> to just get murdered by time. Uh, you know, it's like Faraday's story is really tragic uh, because it like gets presented, I think, in a better package than what happens with Charlotte. I do think we also like spend more time with Faraday as a character, certainly, than Charlotte, um, yeah. which is a failing on the show's part. Um, but when you like you stop and you think about Charlotte's life, this is really, really terrible, everything that happened to her. So, like, how do you reconcile that with the show? Because for certain characters, like, the pursuit of the island is obviously a very bad thing um, for, like, some of, like, the very bad people, like Widmore, um, like, the monsters, like, pursuit of, like, leaving the island. But for someone like Charlotte, who, like, wanted to come back, who, like, wanted to explore this place, only for it to literally just like end in this hellfire uh, of a of a of a of a of an exit, you know, from this mortal coil. Like, how do you how do you align that with the themes of the show, Mike? Yeah. So that's the thing is that I think on paper I like the concept of Charlotte's character because, to your point, I think she is the amalgamation of this theme of finding the island which was really introduced back in season four. She was part of that expedition crew. Right now, it's the main impetus of the Oceanic Six. And so I really like her being represented as the physicalization of like finding this place. Granted, it's for a very different reason than those other people. Though I think those other people would call it home in a certain manner of speaking. And she certainly was looking for home. I just think the execution is not necessarily there. I personally would probably fault it to... Sort of what happened back in season two, where I think there was maybe just too many cast members and maybe too stretched of a story, especially across these multiple time periods to really... I mean, the issue here, honestly, is that I do not care about Charlotte when she dies. I will flat out say yeah, that. Sure. I do not care about Charlotte. Even Anna Lucia and Libby, I cared about. We didn't know a lot about Libby, but she had these emotional connections to someone like Hurley, who we really liked that made you really like Libby as well. And so when you add the tragedy, like both Libby and Charlotte die in tragic ways, I would say. But I think why Libby's resonates so much is because of that emotional attachment. There is no emotional attachment for Charlotte's character. I think thematically, her character is, is a unique representation of this idea of coming home that has been so prevalent throughout season five. But it almost feels like they had those ingredients and they don't really make anything with it. They take a couple of ingredients. I also wonder if part of that also comes from linking her to a character like Faraday, who we spoke about back in Jughead, is someone who we don't necessarily care about emotionally that much that we feel that bad for Faraday either. I, I think she she does she links in really well with the ideas the show is perpetuating at this point. But I think on a delivery concept she sort of gets the short end of the stick, as it were, of Mr. Echo's Jesus stick. And so when the time comes for her, you're sort of like, I mean, th th she dies in the middle of the episode, too, right? Like, right. the death is not reserved for a big end of episode or beginning of episode shocker. It just sort of happens in the middle, almost as a representation of, like, yeah, she was there. It sucks to see her go, but it certainly is not a cliffhanger, you know, worthy I, aspect. I don't disagree. My question for you as a follow-up, Mike, is which character is more underserved by Lost, uh, Charlotte or Libby? Ooh, see, the interesting thing is maybe they learned their lessons from Charlotte. I mean, from Libby when it came to Charlotte, right? That because of Cynthia Watros, they set up all these mysterious concepts and weren't able to follow up with them. 
Charlotte, I don't think they really promise much, right? It's not like they under-delivered and over-promised, because they didn't really promise us much with the character. So I guess by default, I have to go with Libby, because the expectations were much higher on a payoff. Charlotte, there were certainly questions to answer. I feel like we answered most of them by the time we see younger her, especially, or even over the course of this episode. It's just the 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 mysterious aspects about her were not nearly as high as they were with Libby. So I think I have to go with Libby by default, just because even though we didn't clear that high jump bar, the bar was at least set a lot higher than we did with Charlotte. Yeah, I think Libby sets a, sets a standard. Like, I think Charlotte falls into the Libby problem to a degree, though. You know, like, I, I think, like, they do a better job of, like, explaining the Charlotte mysteries. It's just that, like, they, they also, like, kind of keep you at arm's length with the character, so you don't really fully care to a, a, as much as I think that you really ought to. There's more, like, character work that needed to be done with Charlotte um, for us to, like, really, really feel it when Charlotte is, is uh, killed the way that she is on an emotional level. And maybe we're just cold people uh and like a lot of people are going to disagree and that's totally fine i mean I, listen i, I, I want to hear I those will put this out here i would not be surprised write in if you are if you were emotionally affected by charlotte's death and you're not a fan of daniel faraday that's the way that i can imagine this scene impacts you if you're like i love daniel faraday and it sucked to see charlotte go i would imagine the vast majority of that that pathos comes from you liking Daniel Faraday and therefore someone that he really cares about dies that impacts you. Yeah. Um yeah, I think I think like if I am I know that you know in the in the Lost Lives days, the podcasts that we did long before down the hatch there were uh we did like a character draft basically, which was like our version of ranking characters. And I don't know where Charlotte fell. But if I were to like rank the series regulars of Lost as far as characters, Charlotte would wind up very, very low, um, and not for any reason other than like I don't really feel anything. Yeah, I would say I put her even lower than a character like Shannon, who I think we talked about had like a pretty self-realizing arc. It's disappointing because yeah, like, even I really even like Rebecca she, Mater a lot. Like it's got I, nothing I, to do with that. And I'm so glad that Kitsis and Horowitz look at her and use her to great effect on Once Upon a Time, where she is a delight, arguably one of the better parts of the latter half of that show, is she is just chewing the scenery up and being absolutely ridiculous. I'm glad she had more potential, because I, I agree. I think she was very underserved here. I would, And I mentioned before, I put her below characters that I think did very negative things, like a Shannon or an Ana Lucia, because those were arcs. Like, I feel like those characters had endings that from a character-based perspective felt self-realized like you said i i just don't feel that from charlotte yeah. here there, there was nowhere for her to go necessarily um okay well we're not done with her quite yet we'll get there um meanwhile off island this is this is the best off island scene of the episode it's really not even close we should just listen to the whole thing You said we'd be there in 30 minutes. I didn't account for traffic. Son, I'm sorry. Sorry for what? For leaving Jin behind. When we landed that chopper on the boat, Everything was just happening so fast. I knew he was down below. Should have waited for him. 
telling me this now, Jack? Or are you going to ask me not to kill Ben if he's lying about my husband? After what he just indicated, if you don't do it, son, I will. What are you doing? What I'm doing is helping you. And if you had any idea what I've had to do to keep you safe, to keep your friends safe, you'd never stop thanking me. You want to shoot me, then shoot me, but let's get on with it. What's it going to be? Drive. So help me God, I will turn this resurrection van around (laughs) if you kids don't cut this crap out. Oh, my God. Just imagine Ben Linus as, like, Clark Griswold, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, oh, my God. I just love Ben being so incredulous and furious about this. Like, do you guys... (laughs) You don't know what I've been doing? Do you understand? (laughs) I choked John Locke to death for you. (laughs) He's stressed out. Ben's stressed out. He got this really tight timeline. Right now, he only has Jack and Son. He's really blown this whole operation. Uh, And they're talking. And now even Jack is talking about shooting him. And he's like, what the hell? Honestly. Come on! Well, I'm doing all this. I'm dragging myself all over L.A. in this damn van for you. And you're going to question me about it? That's it. Just kill me now, please. This isn't even like an attempt to, you know, challenge your prowess. I'm actually asking for you to shoot me at this moment because I don't want to go through with it any longer. Yes, yes. Uh, I just love it. I think it's really funny. Incredulous Benjamin Linus uh, is a great version of that character. I... I'm going to ask about Jack's choice in this scene. I'll paraphrase Sun. Why is Jack telling Sun this now? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think, like, it's their first conversation in a long time. It, you do get the sense that she beelined it back home. Uh, and we never, uh, like, get another interaction between her and the others other than Hurley. And, like, you know, she when she and Kate talk, it's like they're total strangers. So it's like he's probably as, like, he's been moving closer to the idea of we have to go back. Uh, has been feeling like, um, you know, all of this is bubbling back to the surface. So it's like his first chance to say anything. 30 minutes is an awkward car ride to not say anything. <laughs> yeah, you can only play so many uh, punch buggy games or as a shoot buggy, I suppose, where every time you see a Volkswagen bug, you yeah. shoot Ben. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, I, I, I mean, maybe it's just because we've already seen this scene, right, of Sun saying to Kate, it's not your fault, I don't blame you for this, that it did feel a little redundant to me to have Jack also be like, I'm sorry, by the way, and Sun's like, it's not your fault, but I think from Jack's perspective, it, it wouldn't make sense that he'd, he'd feel the need to do it, especially for Jack, who single-handedly foists blame onto himself for doing this, despite the fact that he literally had nothing to do with that scene Mm -hmm. uh it was really frank lapidus who was like we have to keep going Jin has to stay behind yes uh god i just i we needed to listen to that because michael emerson like michael emerson almost deserves uh it's not a huge ben episode and ben's kind of falling apart but just for that like tirade i'm like half tempted uh, no because i think it's it's a fun michael emerson performance because this is a new version of benjamin linus when when Ben, when uh, Kimi kills Alex, that is a version of enraged Ben that we haven't seen before. But this is almost like frustrated Ben, like at the end of his rope, Ben feels different. There's a different type of anger coming from him. And I, I it is a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, so that's what's going on. Is there anything off island that competes with this? No, right? I mean, it, uh, no. Like, 
kind of cool to see like uh, Desmond show back up, but they sort of rush through that. Yeah. Well, also, uh, we should also mention that at the end here, Desmond is also going to meet Benjamin Linus for the first time. These characters have either like neither spoken to each other nor have they ever really, I don't know, even made eye contact. They only saw each other at the wreckage when the groups divided up at the beginning of season four, but they have never encountered each other whatsoever up to this point, which again yeah. is really weird to think about. Yeah, uh, it just hasn't really happened. Uh, but they're going to have, uh, we're going to have a very uh, significant Ben and Son storyline. Uh, or at least they're going to spend a significant amount of time together. Right. They're, uh, they're going to be like the partnership throughout 2007 for quite some time. Correct. Correct. Um, all right. So let's keep going. Uh, we see that Charlotte is just like babbling nonsense. Like, why can't daddy come with us? Yeah, she's she's on the Ferris wheel right now with Minkowski. Mm-hmm. And then she's like at some like DJ set. Oh my gosh, turn it up. Geronimo Jackson. Could that have been DJ Dom? Talking it's, about the time travel, he was putting on some Geronimo Jackson CDs. So it makes sense from Hurley's perspective. It's possible. Uh, it could be. It could be a Geronimo Jackson concert. Not Drive Shaft, though, huh? No, because that'd be. I mean, she is British, but I feel like she would be more in the Suck Shaft camp than the Drive Shaft camp. I think that's possible. She's more of a Dirt Spigot fan. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. So everyone's like, okay, there was another flash. We need to go. We're all going to die if we don't. And Faraday's like, we can't leave her. And then they're like, haven't you stay with her? He's like, I'm going to stay? <laughs> Everyone's like, cool, bye. You know, again, maybe that speaks to the fact that Faraday is not necessarily a character that anyone here is emotionally attached to, even Miles at this point, that they're like, yeah, okay, bye, have fun. And this is the last they see of Charlotte, too, technically speaking. Yeah. Uh, and there's, like, not really, like, even, like, Miles is just sort of like, okay, see ya. Like, Miles doesn't even really have, like, a big moment. Yeah, and so, but this is where, so Charlotte's going to provide some intel here, right? She's going to tell Locke, because Sawyer points out, well, hell, if we get to the Orca, there's a chance it might not be there anymore. Charlotte does say, hey, go to the well when in doubt, which is a good message. Though I do wonder in retrospect, if they indeed ended up at the Orchid and it was nowhere to be found, like, I would probably look at the well and be like, this is close enough, let me go down it. I don't know if I need Charlotte's pointers, necessarily. Yeah. Uh, so Faraday is going to stick around as all of these uh, nose bleeding fools trek through the jungle. It is like scary now because like everybody's getting nosebleeds except for Locke, right? Like Locke doesn't have one yet. Yeah, I mean, at least he is not. Or he wipes it more uh, quickly. Yeah, maybe, he's maybe, just maybe, a faster maybe. wiper. Well, listen, Locke also is used to being <laughs> covered context, in blood. Right. Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's used to being covered in blood. So I think nobody pays attention, right? To like, oh, there's blood on Locke. That's a usual to do. As This is actually a surprisingly slim Juliet episode, but I do love the moment of her saying, what are the odds we would end up at the same time as the orchid? Cut mm-hmm. to the orchid disappearing. Yes. So... They go to the orchid. It does disappear, but at least, uh, hey, Timmy, uh, Timmy fell in the well. Uh, Locke is going to find the well. He doesn't even need Vincent to show him. Um, lots of well antics uh, throughout the remainder of Lost. Uh, yeah. This is, you know, Charlotte advised them, go find the well. Uh, and when they see it, this is going to be, John is going to, like, pass through this way. Um, and it's, it is, like, very compelling kind of imagery here because we're going to see the man in black's fixation with the wells and like the pockets of energy that uh, exist in some of these spots throughout the show. Um, yeah, I, I really like the connector in this episode in particular of 
it's odd to say, but the connector of like malevolent holes in the ground between the tunnels that lead to below the temple and now this, what we're going to see when Locke climbs down there, like it seems like the time travel pockets of energy are coming from below despite the fact that we thought they were coming from above. It's this idea that, like you said, is going to come to prominence with the well. We're obviously going to go talk about the heart of the island and the cave, which is going to be the end game of the series. This idea of, like, what lurks below. It's, again, a theme we haven't really looked at, un- un- except for back in season one, when there was the hatch, right? And, like, once underneath there, what exists underneath the island? We haven't really thought back to the subterranean aspects. And now we're going back to that again. It's a nice callback. I do want to speak briefly because, you know, in between this is the scene that you mentioned that's in the intro where Charlotte's reveals to Daniel Faraday, like, oh, yeah, you were that creepo depot uh, who told me not to leave. So I, I'm trying to remember, Josh, in my like goldfish brain here, because Faraday is going to come up with the whatever happened, happened idea. Does he come up with that, you think, before all this? Or do you think charlotte talking about the sort of like bootstrap paradox that's going on right now does that cement the idea in faraday's head no i mean i got to imagine that he's already got this right like this is sort of i think foundational to his understanding of time travel this is why he's going to tell uh sawyer and everybody like we can't just like barge into the hatch like we can't do things like that uh we can only do things that have been done um but i think like what's terrifying him in this moment and why we get uh this like big uh faraday look that has become one of the great lost gifts that you can mm-hmm. find online of like uh the daniel i think that man was you and his, and his just like, reaction, look of like yeah of, no what no 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 because it's horror this is a yeah. horror moment and like daniel faraday's story is a horror story you know it's sci- it's sci-fi horror <laughs> american um, horror story faraday edition you know like but seriously like daniel faraday's genre is sci-fi horror mm-hmm. uh like his whole story is very stephen king uh it's very upsetting and this is a really upsetting piece of it where i think what's dawning on him is the time travel isn't over and she's about to die. Uh, like, I think like he feels that that's happening because like we're tripping through time. She's telling me this story about me telling her that if she comes back here, she's going to die. I'm going to do that. And so she will. Uh, and so I like that. She's about to, she's about to go. Um, so like, it's gotta be a lot that's going on for a guy who's like on his best days, relatively fried. And it's no, (laughs) it's no coincidence that from this moment forward until we see him again in the variable, Faraday is effectively useless, uh, because he's just, he's like brutalized by this loss. He's brutalized by this revelation. Um, I mean, you could make the argument uh, that even in the variable, Faraday ultimately proves to at least be fruitless uh, in in a big way. Um, but yeah, that's that's my that's my interpretation. But I don't I don't think this is like the birth of whatever happened happened. I think that's already happened, and I think that's what's making this even worse for him right now. Yeah, I just think um, it's an interesting idea that essentially he it's a reminder to him, if anything, right of like he may try to prevent this from happening in the future, but, like, it will always come back around. As Desmond says, you know, the universe has a way of course correcting. And so whether or not he attempts to do something, 
it's Charlotte's going to end up happening. In this case, it's that she just she just plum forgot that a man told her to not come back to the island until it became much too late and she was already on the island. And so to your point, maybe it's just like a stark reminder to him of even when he tries to stop tragedy that affects his own personal life. It's fruitless, as you mentioned, in the pursuit of the great brick wall that is the time stream. Yeah. Um, so they're going to they we're going back to the well. Let's go back to that well. Uh, John Locke is going to go down the well, and as he's about to prepare, this is where Jin like holds his ground. He's like going to chop the rope. And the and rope. Make it, yeah, he's going to he's going to make it impossible for Locke to go down unless Locke promises, like you you're going to bring everybody back fine, but not Sun. Do not bring her back. She does not come back here. No way. Not no way. Not no how. Uh, and Locke agrees he he uh he promises he won't do it but she may find me and if she does what do i say to her uh and Jin gives Locke his wedding ring he mm-hmm. says tell her i'm dead i washed up and you buried me so there is uh i was gonna say chekhov's wedding ring but that's Jin's wedding ring yeah. chekhov doesn't own that no, uh, not yet. I don't think he. I don't think he got married before he went aboard the Enterprise. Uh, uh, so, <laughs> so, Locke has the wedding ring that will come back uh, in a couple of ways in the next uh, little while, and then in the life and death of Jeremy Bentham. But Locke is going to agree to take yeah. the ring. And for what it's worth, he does keep this promise. Is that Ben's going to offer this to Sun later on? We'll talk about it. But he Locke did not go see Sun. Uh, he took it off of Locke's dead body and used it as a, as a manipulation tactic. So again, textbook Ben Linus, but I guess good on Locke. He went through a lot of crap to get try to get the Oceanic Six to go back, but like he did draw that line at that promise that he made to Jin. Yes. Um. So let's. This is what I want to listen to. It's going to be a lot of like music, uh, a, a little light on dialogue. Maybe at the end, a little heavy on screaming. Um, <laughs> the perfect recipe for a sound. But I, but I do feel like this is worth listening to because what we are about to listen to is the final time John Locke will be topside on the island uh, alive. This is it. This is the moment. It's happening. It's happening now. Uh, and even if it's like slight in terms of like the exchange of conversation... Uh, I think it is it is worth hearing in full, if only kind of in memoriam of, mm. of John Locke. So let's listen in. Sound number five. I'll be back as soon as I can. You don't want us to lower you down. Where would be the fun in that? John, if whatever you're attempting to do actually works. Thank you. You're welcome.
Pretty great Wilhelm scream, by the way. If you need to find a substitute, it's, it's not. It's a. It's an O'Quinn uh, Helm scream. Yeah, it's out, of, it's, it's out of the. Why did you do this to me? It's yeah. right in that cadence. We are, by the way, uh, in a little while from now when we hear the conversation between John and quote unquote Christian. Uh, we will hear Locke shout, uh, you know how much I love when he says, May, uh, that is coming. He's, Can anyone hear May? Is coming up, and I love it uh, so much. I just love the Terry O'Quinnisms. Um, but there he goes, broken leg again. At least it's not his back. But uh, John Locke is going to, uh, I think, um, after this, he's also going to take his final walk, No. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be in a wheelchair for the duration of the life and death of Jeremy Bentham. So, like, these are his final steps in so many ways. You know, like you said, it's it's a really unique goodbye. We've had so many times where characters have said goodbye, but it hasn't been their final goodbye. This is the opposite, where it feels like a nothing burger on the surface, but it's almost, like, stuffed with something special, in that you know this is the last conversation that John Locke is going to have with these people. And from that perspective, I love that the final thing he says to these people through Juliet is, you're welcome. You're welcome. Like, what What else can you say about the John Locke character than that, right? This is the guy who, for better or for worse, felt himself to be, like, the savior, the protector, the hunter, the only person to commune with the island and, you know, do things for the betterment of people uh, within his immediate vicinity. For him to sum that all up with, you're welcome, I think makes so much sense as his final words to the people of 815. Yeah, and I think that, um, you know, it, depend, it, it works depend, like it works with either version of how you view John Locke, if it's like a binary view of John Locke, where like yeah. you love him or you don't. Um, like, just sort of like, uh, if you don't care for John Locke, it's like sort of like the unmitigated gall of mm-hmm. saying you're welcome. And if you do love John Locke, it's like, yeah. He, you know, he's he. They should be thankful for John Locke. Um, so I think I think it does work really well both ways uh, in in this scene. Um, it is maybe slightly odd to me that the last person he speaks to of this group is Juliet. It, and then I I was thinking that the other day, and then I thought about it a little more. It's like no, this is one of his people. The others are yeah. his people. The people of the island are his people. Uh, and that's, another, and that's another thing too. Juliet is the only person among this group to like thank him for whatever he's about to do. And so it does make sense. Again, it makes sense in the moment because he's like, okay, I guess that's the natural response. But yeah, the only person to sort of like support him, I suppose, in this moment vocally is someone who comes from these people that Ben abdicated the leadership to John Locke. Yeah. Um, And then I think another way in which that connects for Juliet's arc specifically is what Locke is going down the well to do is not terribly far off from what Juliet will have to do at the end of the season as well. Right, uh, and luckily I don't think we see Juliet's leg shatter when she falls down the shaft. No, it's not pretty, though. Um, and I, I do think that for, like, Juliet, like, you know, it is it is obviously, like, a very different thing. But I feel like in this season that's all about, like, how fates are connecting and how certain loops are cycling, um, that there is this quality here of, like, 
Juliet thanking Locke for like fixing the the time loop. Uh, and then Juliet is also later going to have to do something extremely similar in a sacrifice to uh, to bring everybody back to where they need to be to stabilize the situation. So, like, everybody mm. is like, you know, like, uh, it's a game of inches, uh, of sacrificial inches as everybody is just like, uh, you know, losing pieces of themselves to, to, uh, to keep the island whole and therefore keep the world whole. Uh, so I think that, like, Juliet here having this moment with Locke is almost like, calling ahead toward what's going to happen to her. Yeah, it's almost like a passing of the torch, right, in terms of uh, big sacrificial lambs on the island. It's an interesting moment. And again, for a slim Juliet episode, it's moments like that that are, you know, a fun little dip. I I do feel like, you know, while Sawyer has one final smarmy remark, I think the way that, that Sawyer tries to tell Locke to hold on maybe is a little tiny bit of a symbol of the fact that now with Locke on, this officially means that Sawyer is going to be the leader of this ragtag group that's left, right? He's going to be the one left holding the rope in a manner of speaking. Yeah, basically. Uh, he's holding the rope. It's connected to nothing. Uh, I think Miles is one who says, I think you can let go of that now. <laughs> uh, classic. Uh, another let go moment. And Sawyer being told to let go. Uh, the ways in which these characters are becoming each other. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Uh, hanging around long enough to do so. Unlike John Locke, who is no longer hanging around because he fell off the rope. Yeah. Uh, so that's what's going on there. Charlotte's about to die. Let's listen in. <laughs> <laughs> good. Good. Just, <laughs> I don't know. What do you want me to say? Charlotte's about to die. Let's listen in. We have the sound. You get to listen. Hold on. Stay. <laughs> stay. Stay with me. Stay. Okay. It's going to be fine. Everything's gonna be okay. Mm. I've got a plan. Mm. I've got a plan. When we're back at the hatch, I talked to Desmond. I told him to find my mother. She can help us, Charlotte. She will help us. How can your mother help us? She can. And please welcome back to the stage the song Life and Death. <laughs> Brutal. Uh, very well executed. Um, yeah, uh, so that's it. That's that's Charlotte. I'm not allowed to have chocolate before dinner. You know, my friend uh, who I talk about with, I'm so sorry, mm-hmm. and coming out. This is another one we often say to each other. Uh, I'm not allowed to have chocolate before dinner. Uh, among the the final words that anybody says on the show before they die, or even if you were just to rank 
the character's final words. I'm not allowed to have chocolate before dinner. I do think would crack top 10 for me. Yeah, I mean, it's at least she dies with a happy memory. Right, though I guess it's not. I don't know. What? Well, let's try to place ourselves. It's, icon- in- it's iconic for for like. There's that uh, that like you know if like you're taking the charitable view of like the the Minkowski style like going on the Ferris wheel stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that at least like she's connecting with like a sweet moment from earlier in her life. Literally sweet moment. Yeah, but then it's also so bizarre. It's just yeah. such a strange. And, and I do think that Rebecca Mater again. I love the delivery of it, and then sort of like the sad, like little noise that she makes. Uh, it's, yeah, the- yeah, it's like the like basically like the death rattle. Uh, mm-hmm. It's 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 so ups- it, it is really upsetting and affecting. Um, coming from a character who like I don't feel much towards otherwise, and I do think. Again, I think that this is a, a writing failure. Is like, I I definitely feel this like uh, both like in terms of like the horror of it, but the emotionality of it. I am feeling like on behalf of like Faraday being alone in the woods now with it, he couldn't save her, um, and like that's horrible for the the character. And I wish that there was more that I was feeling like the end of for like the end of Charlotte's journey. Um, but like, I'm thinking about this more because Faraday is just like a, a more fleshed out character than she is. I'm thinking about this in terms of what he goes through long-term story arc wise and how this connects to that. And it's just such an awful addition to the great tragedy of Daniel Faraday's like time traveling, time looping, horrible, miserable existence. Yeah. So I asked last week, you know, about the Charlotte death scene as to whether should it have happened at the end of Jughead? Should it have happened last episode? And I think it's fine in this episode, even though, to your point, it's it's for a character that I'm not necessarily caring about. Again, I agree that I think Rebecca Mater did a really good job, but I'll admit I was not entirely emotionally invested in the scene in particular. I wonder if there was time to, like, almost spend more time in this adult state where her mind, because I think we find out so much about Charlotte in this episode, just due to the fact that she is revisiting her old memories. I wonder if we spend more time, honestly, with this version of Charlotte, and we find out more about like the very, not only the various colors that she has throughout her life, but also getting to see more of what Rebecca Mater can bring to the table. If then this death means more to us, you mm-hmm. know, was it almost like too little too late when it came to giving her a showcase? Yeah, I think so. Unfortunately, um, I do. Um, but she's gone, as Sawyer will say about Juliet at some point in time. Meanwhile, not quite gone yet is John Locke. Uh, who has but nearly the, nearly gone is Mike Bloom, who the first time he watched the shot of the compound fracture in John Locke's leg nearly fainted the very first time I watched this episode. This is the kind of thing like when I am aware of sports because Twitter has exploded because someone had like a horrible leg injury in basketball. Uh, and so like everyone's talking about it. Like this is what I imagine. Uh, it's just like this like grotesque uh, uh, leg break that we're seeing from from John Locke. I don't know if you've ever broken a bone before, Mike. I have. So I broke my wrist uh, in a stage accident, but it was nowhere near like nothing was flopping around. Nothing was protruding from the skin. So I've yet to experience anything as gruesome as what John Locke experiences here. Like even when he gets tackled out of an eight story window, it does not look nearly as graphic as what happens here. Correct. Uh, It's horrific to behold. Uh, It's terrifying. 
Uh, and this is where he's shouting for James, Juliet, can anyone hear me? <laughs> Someone can. Yeah. And it, and uh, it turns out to be a friendly face, a familiar face. We'll say a familiar face to John Locke and to us. Uh, Josh, it's the first appearance of Christian Shepard this season. Oh, boy. Let's listen in, because that's not Christian Shepard. That's someone else. Can you hear me? Can anyone hear me? Who's there? John, you, what are you doing down here? I'm here to help you the rest of the way. I don't understand. You came to see me in the cabin. You asked me how to save the island and I told you you had to move it. I said that you had to move it, John. Ben said he, he knew how to do it. He told me that I had to stay here and lead his people. And since when did listening to him get you anywhere worth a damn? The good news is that you're here now. You ready to go? I, 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 I don't know what to do once I get there. There's a woman living in Los Angeles. And once you get all of your friends together, and it must be all of them, everyone who left, and once you've persuaded them to join you, this woman will tell you exactly how to come back. Who is she? Her name is Eloise Hawking. What if I can only convince someone to come back? I believe in you, John. You can do this. Richard said I was going to die. Well, I suppose that's that's why they call it sacrifice. So I have questions. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of questions. Yeah. I mean, so this is this is going to be fun because this is our usual portion, right? Where like we have to figure out yes what the smoke monster is doing, what the smoke monster knows. Correct. So, does the smoke monster exist outside of the space time continuum? We have to talk about this um, because if you if you consult Lostpedia, um, you know there was a time flash that caused John to drop, right? Um, and we are going to be in this period of time where the tower still exists, uh, the tower, mm-hmm. the statue still exists because they're going to see the statue from behind in Lafleur. Right. So, and also the, uh, the, we saw there's no, ro- there's no more. Well, it's just uh, the ground with the rope coming out of it. Right. So is, is Christian Shepherd down here? Uh, did he, is this area, does this exist out of, out of space and time 
Like, is this, is like this area, is it like unique like Desmond, right? Like, is mm. that something that you could interpret that there is a uniqueness to the core of the island and like you can imagine that this is like somewhat central in the island? It's not the heart of the island, but it is like, I, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that this is like operating the heart of the island. Yeah, right? I think this, I, I, I would not be surprised if this is like the neutral zone. As it were, right? Where it's it's located so centrally around this hub of time control. So no attacking here is what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. yeah like no in Switzerland. Fighting. Yes. No fighting here whatsoever. Romulans, stay the hell out of here. Yeah. Uh, but th- it's this idea that like there's this almost like uh, vicinity that surrounds it that exists out of time. Well, because you also have to remember like when was the wheel put in? Too, you know, like was it put in back in the 1800s or wherever they are now? Because if not, then indeed this little chamber would exist out of time. The reason why we're bringing this up is because you could argue it's a plot hole if Christian Shepard comes down here and tells John Locke all these things. If chronologically speaking, they're back in in time here, where yes, the monster is currently existing, but he has no idea who John Locke is. He has no idea who Christian Shepherd is, let alone his son. He doesn't know who Eloise Hawking is, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it makes reasonable sense to say that this is sort of out of bounds when it comes to the timey-wiminess. And that the, the smoke monster appearing here is sort of like the smoke monster that would exist in 2007 that knows everything about these 815ers. Then there are other things potentially mm-hmm. to consider. Um is the monster traveling through time? Is is the monster traveling through time alongside the eight one fivers right now? Is he is he along for the journey? Is the monster that kills Montan and the French crew is that like our present day monster who's also tripping through time and being like, what is this? Oh my what's goodness! This? What's this? I see some French people. Yeah, like is that going on? And is he now like deducing like, oh shit? Here's a plan. This is the thing that's going down. Uh, is he moving through time? Is it that um, that uh, Christian Shepherd's B.O.D.Y. Uh, is traveling through time? Mm. And is there some sort of uh, like lost two type thing that you want to do where there's another piece to the puzzle that all the way back here in like the 1860s, the man in black starts to formulate this long con. I think like you could you could there there are ways to make this work for you where like there like there is the one read that like it's a plot hole that he's down here and shouldn't be down here. But you can like find the ways in which like Monsters traveling through time. There's a thing that we don't know. The story continues past the show. You could just like you know fanfic that out in your head, or you can say that this area that uh, the the you know the the chamber of the frozen donkey wheel basically is unique in time and moving ever forward, and the monster has access to this place. Um, and we do know one thing about the man in black is before he died. He did have some semblance of like he was developing some semblance of mastery over right. the electromagnetic energy. Um, so is he able to like connect with that? He did get like hurled through the heart say, of the he, island. I mean, I would argue that that like he probably has a big connection with them, just like any superhero story, right? It's like when you get exposed to that element, you are usually 
imbued with control over that element. I think that's sort of, I could be argued what happens with the, the man in black here is he gets thrown down the well or thrown into the heart of the island, comes out a billowing smoke monster, but as a result, like, is connected to the island in so many ways. Let's bring up another question here. How does the man in black know who Eloise Hawking is and where she's located? I don't know about the where she's located piece. Um, the the bit about uh, knowing Eloise Hawking is not hard. Uh, yeah, she, she was she was the previous leader of the island. I think that that makes right. sense. So that, but tracks- I'm not, but I'm not sure how they know. Okay, she's going to help you specifically, and she's living off island. You know, like do do they have tabs on previous leaders like your Charles Widmores and your Eloise Hawkins that they know exactly where they are and and if they'll help them? Yeah, I don't know. Um, that I don't have a great one for. Um, other than like that, like is also part of like the the Lost Two fanfic. <laughs> like yeah. that's that's where you'd have to develop that out. If anyone has like a, a strong take on that, I, I would love to hear it because uh, I don't I don't have a great uh, a great version of that. And then here's another one. So let's let's bring oh, it back. Other to than it. sorry, you know what? Um, he, if if Christian is around in the 70s or if the man in black is around in the 70s and like spooking and spying on the on the on the dharma crew Mm. on the 815ers it's not impossible that like he just learns it that way that could be possible yeah where they just he just overhears in a manner of speaking of like oh this is what happened and so it's almost like what richard alpert does of like oh you're gonna have to go through and do with this which then speaking of richard alpert brings up this question so let's talk about the man in games long man in games man in black's long game plan here why do you think the man in black would want Locke to push the wheel and leave the island so that he can go leave the island assemble the people die come back and uh convince benjamin linus to kill jacob so that he can scare the shit out of Benjamin Linus by coming back to life as somebody that Benjamin Linus kills mm-hmm. and inspire holy terror <laughs> in Ben and needle that guy into killing Jacob and initiating the end game. I think that makes sense. Because I think on paper you would say, well, if you just want to kill Locke to take his body, you know, just uh, have him die from the time sickness, and then a bunch of other candidates die from that. But I think to your point, especially if the monster knows that the Oceanic Six, at least some of them, wind up back in the 70s. Then John Locke does get off the island, right, and begins this process. So let me get in on that. Let me lean into that, because clearly John Locke leaves the island and dies. And so let me be like, you know, there is this feeling of like, uh, like there's like a sense of like the Widmore people are like scrambling to get to this moment. I feel like there is this idea of like, they know that these people go back. They know that it happens. And it's like a race to be the person who did it. It's like the race to Mm -hmm. be the person who got them to go back. It's like, we know what the result is, but we don't know how the result was established. And we are all racing to be the people who established the result. And so the man in black is trying to get in on creating the result because they know that Locke travels through time back into the fifties. They know that the, that Jack and and Kate and Saeed and Hurley are going to go back 
to the 70s. Uh, they're going to know John Locke is dead. Um, so they know that that's going down. They know that John Locke is a sucker and can be conned <laughs> because he believes so deeply in the island and you can make that work to your advantage. He's getting in on trying to establish the result. Uh, it is it is so much less about, about Locke and more about like that happens with Locke. Um, and Locke and Ben have this terrible adversarial relationship mm-hmm. that if if they can bring Locke's body back, then the monster can take on that likeness and do those final uh, master strokes of manipulation to get an already uh, dubious at best person in Benjamin Linus to finally enact the loophole that the man in black has been looking for this whole time. This is all part of the, this is all part of the long con. And this is all part of like the stuff that the monster does. That's like genuinely great and clever mm-hmm. and cool and uh, a, a really fun character. And then you could start really taking some issue with it in season six. If you wish, I think it will maybe feel slightly better when we watch across the sea first. I do think that that helps. I don't know that it fixes, but it helps. Yeah. So, I mean, it is, very Machiavellian here. And it's, it's really funny in an episode where Benjamin Linus is coming loose at the seams that here the man in black is. In that scene alone that we played, so many tactics are being used, right? He is continuing this narrative that he put forward in Cabin Fever of like, oh no, I said you had to specifically be the one to do it when like, it didn't really matter. I mean, yes, it does matter again in that John Locke has to leave the island in order for everything to happen in the 70s. But it wasn't that... Only John Locke could be the one to do this. Ben was able to do it before and and ended up being totally fine. Again, this is just a a manipulation. We have Christian here, as you mentioned. He knows that Locke and Ben, though they shook hands, have an adversarial relationship. So he's trying to turn Locke against Ben by saying, since when did listening to Ben get you anywhere worth a damn? I also wonder if uh, Man in Black wagers that John Locke is going to die at the hands of Benjamin Linus, right? If you're like, how is he going to die? I don't know, but Ben will probably do something. I've watched enough of Ben. Ben's probably like that. But then he's like almost inspirational at the end, right? He's like, I believe in you, John. You can do this. To watch all the tactics that he goes through in this one scene is extraordinary. I think Terry O'Gwyn does a great job here as well. Like you hear his strangled breath, for lack of a better term, because he is in an immense amount of pain at the moment. But you know, the, the deus ex machina music is going to play here as, as he's about to go, you know, hop up and go to the wheel. And I think it's, it's very similar in that Locke is handicapped in both scenes. And in both moments, he is sort of facing a crisis of faith. And I think he gets a sign from the island in that moment in deus ex machina. Here he's getting someone who he thinks is a personification of the island, really isn't speaking to him and so i really like the comparison between both of those extremely pivotal scenes for john locke but man in black has him hook line and sinker i mean i don't know if john locke was gonna go anywhere after this considering that he is trapped underground but if he ever needed that push even though he will not help john locke up and you know have him limp to the wheel the man in black via christian shepherd is there to give him a helping hand can he lift him up without giving up the game is my question um, have we ever seen the man in black in like when he's like shape shifted into like another person's likeness? Have we ever seen him physically interact with a person? Yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, we know that uh, we talked about this with the horse, right? Like Kate touches the horse. If we assume the smoke monster is the horse, then like it is corporeal. Right. Yeah. Um, but maybe she didn't push hard enough. Like if she pushed a little <laughs> she harder. She just gone right through. <laughs> oh, it's got a lot of give. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. 
Um, if that if that's like the only example, you know, like I was th- I was thinking about that though. Like, can he not like pick him up because like literally I can't. I'm uh, sorry, I'm the monster. <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry, I'm not allowed to touch you. I don't know. That would feel. I guess I'll, I'll have to think about any other times where if the monster like i'm trying to think i don't think the yemi stuff i don't think he ever touched echo like i think he turns into the monster before trouncing echo yeah Yeah. i'm trying to think about it i'm not i'm not sure yeah um but he does say like i can't i can't help you up and so what we get is john Locke getting up onto his feet limping towards the wheel his final walk uh about his final walk about off the island he's finally he's finally done it he's completed the tour uh tour uh he's completed what, his t- what if you push the wheel and he pops back up in you know aussie troyzan's office like oh you did it you passed the walkabout uh he's he's done uh it's it's over and now it's going to you know it's still in his hands to a degree but the the island itself and leaving this place uh it's about to it's all about to go away uh and the uh the final thing that he he asks is after Christian says say hello to my son which is another master stroke it's like let's spook jack you know mm-hmm. i'm sure this is going to spook that guy uh you know he's still trying to just like kind of get in the game uh say hello to my son who's your son is what Locke asks and so as he leaves the island this man who while he was here was in such communion with the place, seemed so sure of himself, seemed so confident he is leaving uh, a man who is like kind of like returning to who he was on the other side of the island at the start of the show. Someone who's a little bit lost. Yeah, and I love that too, that this is a guy who thought he had all the answers, and he's not saying that he doesn't, but he's also like thrown in one final thing, right, to send Locke into a tizzy. Uh, and the whole who's your son moment is also a fun, it's not like a fun callback, but it's also a nice reminder of like only Jack and Sawyer really know who Christian Shepherd is at this point. It's not exactly a detail that everyone's been clued in on. It, it, it does connect back, though, to uh, I do feel a couple times in this episode we get the whole like, oh, something's about to be revealed and then a flash happens. Like, we get that here. We got it earlier in the episode where, in the clip that we listened to, where Daniel's like, all right, I have this plan. First, they're going to find my mom, and then, and then you know, Charlotte starts coughing. So yeah. we're going to find out that revelation soon enough, but they're still doing that old trope like they have been in season five, and even back in season four of, uh, uh, I'm about to reveal this. Oh, uh, oh, too bad. Oh, you got blue balls. You're not, yeah. you're not getting it. You're not getting yeah. the information. Yeah. Um, so that's it. He's left. Uh, he's gone. He's finished. That's the end of John Locke on the island. And I love it because it is big, but not terribly big. Yeah. Right? Like, it happens a third of the way into season five compared to Ben, who moving the island was such a big character moment, such a big emotional moment, such a big seismic event occurs in a season finale, no less. It's such a brilliant way to obscure this big twist at the end that, you know, John Locke is going to come back, but it's not going to be John Locke. This is his final moments on the island. And the fact that it is both low key, but as you said, so meaty at the same time, I think it's just brilliantly done. I say some of the best twists are ones that like you don't expect at the time, but you see coming from a mile away in retrospect. And I think we get it here where John Locke's final moments on the island are not that meaningful, but oftentimes in life, that's what happens. 
the last conversations you often have with people are not the ones that you expect. Otherwise, there are a lot of things that are left on the table here. John Locke does sort of have that closure with the island, he thinks, in the form of Christian. But the way he leaves behind 815 certainly is very open-ended. But it almost seems proper for John Locke, a character who he himself almost explores the island with a bunch of open-ended questions. Yeah. Um, so you're enjoying this, huh? You're, enjoy- you're enjoying watching like the, the monster manipulations. This is m- one of my favorite parts about season five is tracking the, mo- the monster arc. Yeah, I think it's even between, not even that, I really like just the, the hints that are being dropped, right? It almost feels like in every episode we are getting some sort of tidbit as to, oh yeah, John Locke is not John Locke. And I really enjoy that because again, there, there are footprints leading, but right now those footprints are invisible and I have no lemon juice to discern the invisible ink to find out where those footprints are. So it's, it's really something that's fun to track in retrospect. It's almost like watching through the looking glass over an entire season where all these little things are planted that you don't notice on the first go around. But there's so much stuff. Again, this this really shows how season five was probably the, the only season besides six to be fully plotted out from the beginning to the end, is that you can start dropping things in the very first episode, knowing they'll come to fruition at the end. And I really appreciate that consistency. For sure. Um, all right. Well, we're at the end of the episode. One last scene off island as Jack and Son and Ben finish their 30-minute-plus traffic drive to the church, and Ben shall present the the proof of life for Jin. We will see uh, another storyline collide here, and we will be left with uh, with a little bit of momentum going into what's going to come in the next episode. Let's close this out. Sound number eight. May I? Take it. Yeah, when you have Jack. How do you have this? John gave it to me. You said John never came to see you. That's true, Jack. I went to see him. Jin gave it to him before he left the island. Why didn't Mark tell me himself? I don't know. Maybe he never had a chance before he died. I'm sorry I had to bring you here before I gave it to you, son. But all those people back on the island, Jin included, need our help. There is a woman in this church, and she can tell us how to get back to your husband. But we're running out of time, son. So I need you to decide right now. Will you come with me? What are you doing here? I assume the same thing you are. You're looking for Faraday's mother too? Hello, Eloise. 
Hello, Benjamin. I thought I said all of them. This is all I could get on short notice. Well, I suppose it'll have to do for now. All right, let's get started. Right, so here's what we gotta do. Everybody, get on a plane. You gotta go get your. Does your you got your dad's shoes? No. Okay, well, go get them from your grandpa. You're gonna have to go get your grandpa's shoes. You're gonna put them on John Locke. Put John Locke in the coffin. We're gonna put the coffin on an airplane. You're all gonna get on the airplane. Don't worry about Saeed. We're gonna get him in uh, handcuffs. Bring him to Hurley's. Gonna change his mind. He's gonna come. Jack Kate's yeah. gonna come sleep with you. All also, of you gotta get on the plane. Someone in the gonna, be there, is gonna be there. Don't you're worry about her. You're gonna through the air. You're gonna travel through time, but only some of you, son. You're not gonna travel through time, and then you're just gonna mysteriously just appear on the island and it's gonna be great all right you ready to get that started let's go if you can forgive that everything that comes afterwards is epic <laughs> so, so that's why again this might be a hot take i'm actually not a fan of this ending yeah i think i, I was in the moment because i'm like oh let's get started this is fun we're finally gonna figure out what the plan is i think part of it is as you mentioned, and I think we'll get into a lot more in next week's 316, uh, just maybe the incredulity of that plan, the ridiculous aspects of it. But I think it's also, like, it comes out of nowhere to me and not in a great way. Maybe it's because the the off-island stuff was, like, so plotting at this point. Again, we were at the marina, we spent time in traffic, now we're here, and now it's just like, boom, 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 boom! Eloise Hawking is this lady, is the one who's been talking with Desmond, she somehow knows time travel, and now let's get started. Like, it just, it feels like it comes a bit out of nowhere to me. We'll talk about this next week. I wonder if maybe this scene has a place in 316 instead. You know, is Let's Get Started a better pre credit scene than it is an ending to loss i think it's i think this episode is fine if it ends with Locke pushing the wheel and say goodbye to my son that could be a really interesting place to leave it i know that there are some things they want to happen in this scene right like you want to get desmond there for his couple of lines next episode you want to get ben to reveal that he did indeed interact with Locke, which is why he has the ring but i don't know personally this I, do, is the- I do love that line though you lied to me you said john never came to, to see you so I, I that's right i went to see him yeah, it's very much Benjamin Lyons thing, right? Like, I didn't lie exactly. You didn't ask me if he went to see me. Uh, mm-hmm. So therefore, I wasn't lying to you. Yeah. Um, Desmond's uh, arrival with the group is very anticlimactic. And like, I think Desmond's departure is going to be also anticlimactic, which is like part of why like the Desmond story in season five is just sort of fine. Uh, so like that stuff, like I do think like it kind of like coalesces in sort of this odd way. Um you know this this whole the the like there are aspects of three one six that I love. Um, I think the return of the Oceanic Six back to the island, like how it happens, I I have still not like been able to like fully get myself on board with. I think in my last rewatch, I I didn't mind it that much, and so I'm curious mm-hmm. to know how that's going to feel next week when we watch the episode. But there's there's pieces of it like um. Matthew Fox's performance next week is really dynamite. Um, mm-hmm. And there's some there's some really great stuff to look forward to. Um, but I do think that, like, what we're getting here is kind of like... Uh, what we're getting here and what we're about to get into is, like, you know, 
shades of of season six, right? Like this is like you know these are like now we're doing payoffs, and the payoffs are just not always wonderful on the show. Um, th- like that's not the stuff. That's not the sauce. The sauce is the, you know the is the are the characters, the dialogue, the music, the themes. Uh, like those things are really where it's deeply, deeply at the plotting. I think when when like people say Lost sucks, they're thinking about the plotting, uh, and I think that there are some ways in which that's not entirely unfair, even if it's really, really harsh and unnecessarily so, considering how excellent everything else is. But this is we are, we are like now carving into the territory where it's like, hmm, so we get on a plane and we're just going to disappear and that's it, you know? Like, yeah, maybe not the the, the all time best. And that's another reason why, like, I, I want to have an episode in the French Expedition, right? Because I think this first part, I mean, this is the end of the first major arc of season five. We're a third of the way through the season. And a part of it is because I've, I've been having a lot of fun with this so far. And it's like, now we maybe move into the area that I'm not particularly fond of, at least by comparison, where, especially, like we said, a little bit of the hurry up when it comes to 316. Maybe we'll talk about this next week. Maybe it's a question of, if we make 316 a two-hour episode of mm. Lost, is, the, is there something that can certainly help it? Because I think Again, we'll talk about this. I think maybe one of the the the, the detriments, uh, the deductions to be made against three one six is that it goes a little too quickly. You have to cram the entirety of the Oceanic Six getting back into the island in one hour when it took them three hours to leave. By yeah. comparison, yeah, um, yeah. I think I think like we we get we go back really fast, and I also do think you know now we're basically like in preview mode. Uh, <laughs> uh, that I I think that. One of the things that is worth pondering are the next three episodes presented in the proper order, or is there a better order for them? Well, I mean, it's funny that you mentioned that because I do believe the original intention was to put Jeremy Bentham before 316. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's the move or if I, I think, I think the move is LaFleur should go next. Uh, stick with Sawyer Stick with Juliet, stick with these people, see them go through the Dharma Initiative stuff, and then it ends with, oh shit, Jack, Hurley, and Kate are back. Mm-hmm. And then you go to 316 and you find out how do they come back. Uh, and then you get to the life and death of Jeremy Bentham, uh, and now you're back to, to Namaste. And so like now I think like you're addressing those three silos in a way that just like flows a little better, and you're not just like suddenly... Um, you're not like I don't. I think like maybe like the return to the island feels a little less rushed that way because now you've had like a week of like marinating on what's Eloise's plan going yeah, to how be. How did we get started? You know, like what's Eloise's plan going to be? Now we're dealing with Sawyer and everybody, and then the twist ending is like it works somehow. They come back, and so then I think like it makes the way in which they come back probably a little bit more palatable. Yeah, um, there, there are a, benefits and drawbacks. Yeah, yeah. I, I think maybe my favorite part of three one six honestly is the opening and the closing. I think yes. it's a really unique prospect to end this episode. As much as I'm not a fan of the ending, with Let's get started, and then immediately cut to the after product. Yeah. Uh, like I know that media res uh, can sometimes be uh, an iffy type of use, but I think I think it's a really fun cut to in this moment. And I think I do think if you do it in that order, you do miss out on I think a lot of the fun of the ending 
of of uh, of three one six, right? When it turns out that it's Jin who's uh, the one that's accosting them. Though I guess if you sort of put two and two together of oh, if Daniel Faraday's back in the seventies, then I guess Jin is too. Uh, you do remove a bit of that, but maybe there's a different ending you can go with. Well, we'll have to take a look at it again. These three episodes. I wonder if there's a different order we can we can juggle things around in, or even like restructure the episodes proper to feature different elements almost like mix everything in one big pot and then divvy out the elements across three hours of television you know we're not going to do the podcast in this way we are you know we are going to eventually do an out of order thing just re-emphasizing we will watch across the sea as the first episode of season six get ready for that that is how we are watching season six that episode is removed from its order in season six and launched as the prologue to season six that's how we're doing across the sea on down the hatch we're not reshuffling anything officially here for the podcast in season five for down the hatch but mike maybe what i will do is i will watch them in the order of lafleur 316 life and death of jeremy bentham and next week i can report back on how that flow goes Mm -hmm. yeah i never really thought about those episodes as a trilogy but i guess i think my biggest issue is putting jeremy bentham in the middle of that sandwich I think no matter what, because I think you end on that cliffhanger and then we have an entire week of, oh, let's go back and see what happens with John Locke. And before moving forward from like acting on, wait a minute, why is Jin back in the 70s with them? Uh, I think as long as you find a place that's not in the middle for Jeremy Bentham, I'm I'm game for checking it out. Yeah, so I'm going to try this. Uh, I think I think Lafleur three one six Life and Death of Jeremy Bentham is probably the order that I would prefer, and I'll I'll experiment with it. Uh, we'll, we're coming back with the with three one six next week, and I'll just report back and see if I think that that order plays better uh, for me, or play, at least it plays well. It'll be hard to say if it plays yeah. better because I'm not going to watch these episodes twice. That's, yeah, not, so, that's just not happening. So going back to the end of of this place's death, yeah, I, I think I'll admit I think partially the way, as we mentioned before, it sort of rushes through. This is what you need to do. Doesn't really help the cell that initially came with like, okay, we're finally going to find out what's going on with Eloise Hawking. What's the plan here to get everybody back? I'll admit that seeps in a little bit. There's also the stage of, like, everyone isn't together, right? There's this incompleteness of, like, all right, well, there's four of you here. All right, we'll still have the meeting. You know, we have quorum. We can still talk about what's going on. I I think the weightiness of let's get started is fun, but it just feels like, I mentioned before, it almost uh, is an early you know, per, uh, predicator to the the rushed aspect of 316 is this final scene where it's just like, all right, boom, you're here, boom, you're here, boom, you're here, here's Eloise Hawking. Desmond's Boone's here? De- Boone's, uh, no, wait till season six. Yeah. Uh, De- Desmond's here, Desmond discovers who Eloise Hawking is, let's get started, lost. Yeah. Uh, you know, it just sort of all comes crashing together, and while I'm not not a fan of endings like this, I don't think it works in this particular episode that way. Um, all right, this place is death. Let's rank it. Um, I gave it a 3.6, which is what I gave the lie. I still think that this is of a consistent quality here in season five of Lost. I think we are hovering around the zone. Mm-hmm. I could see this moving in either direction up towards 3.7 or down towards 3.5 um, because I think the off-island story is really just there, basically. Um, we are just like moving ever so slightly forward there. But I think the on-island stuff is, by and large 
very, very, very strong. And it is docked uh, a point or two for me um, due to just like, I wish that, that the show had done a better job with Charlotte. Um, yeah, I wish I like, I felt more there as opposed to just like feeling like kind of horrified. And also when I feel things that I wish I was feeling things for Charlotte as opposed to like, I'm feeling things just for Daniel. Um, but I think as far as it being like John Locke's final time on the island, his his material is really compelling. It's mm-hmm. another really compelling episode for the monster story arc. Um, and I love checking in on Rousseau again, and I think it's a clever way of doing it. So I'm giving it a 3.6, um, and uh, it would be higher if not for a few of those knocks for me. Yeah, I mean, I'm on the same wavelength with you. I just went a little bit lower to a 3.5, because actually I think I like this less than the lie. I think I think I'm realizing that in both season five and overall in Lost, I'm probably on average going to rate character episodes, flawed character episodes, higher than flawed plot episodes. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, so that I, makes sense. I think it's just because it's something I enjoy more of the series, especially watching back. Like, that sticks with me more. So, like, The Little Prince, for example, is a character episode that is flawed, but I really liked, over This Place's Death, which is a plot episode that I liked. Like you, to echo what you said before, I think the lock stuff in particular is really strong. I do like the climactic aspect of the flashes keep going off to really, like, again, put a ticking time bomb on everything. But I, I do think... It's not that there are major, like, things I don't like as much as major things I feel absolutely nothing towards. Sure. Complete, I, complete I ambiguity. Fair. And I think in that form, it's the off-island stuff, which just feels like, okay, we have to get them to the get them to the church on time. Uh, let's just sort of, like, spend an episode in transition doing that while mentioning some Sun stuff and the Charlotte stuff. Rebecca Mater does a, a good performance, but I think this, to me was like just a reminder of how I do feel how underserved the Charlotte character was and it didn't really mean much to me. It's probably the character death in Lost that has meant the least to me so far. As I said, think, even even yeah. Nikki and Paolo get like the lolliness, but also spend the episode to really build up how yeah. terrible these characters are. Charlotte's giving me nothing I, right now. I don't I don't think that's unfair. I I feel that way at least. Whether yeah. it's fair or not, I I feel I feel very similarly. Um we're a little off from the audience this <laughs> very week. much um, so. Yeah, this is like their second I think this is their second it's highest their rated second episode. Hi- it's this place is death is the second highest rated episode of season 5 for the audience with a 3.9 average. So that's going to place this place is death squarely in the middle, just a smidge above the little prince though cuz you and I were higher on that than the audience. Uh so it's a, a 3.68 currently for this place is death. As always, these scores remain flexible through the end of season five. Um, as it stands, these are your top five baby episodes of season five and fifth. It's the lie, then the little prince, then this place is death, then Jughead, and then because you left, uh, because you bit. Um, let's do some feedback first from new patron of post show recaps, and yet. Long time down the hatch constant, a fixture, the legendary Jim Fells, who received Woo! a glorious welcome uh, to the Post Show Recaps patron Discord when Jim arrived this week. Uh, Jim did not mention uh, uh, Forrest Gump to me. Uh, but I'm, I'm, just, I'm assuming it was implied. I think it's implied. So Jim, like Chuck, stay tuned. Uh, for some uh, for some Forrest Gump updates, uh, Jim. Uh, who, if you want to hang out with Jim Fells and the rest of the amazing hatchlings who signed up for the Post Show Recaps patron, again, just patreon.com slash post show recaps. Think about it. Don't forget to mention Forrest Gump. Uh, great things will happen. Uh, this is from Jim. Jim writes in. 
uh, and says, it seems like everybody's noses are bleeding on the island except for Faraday's and Locke's. We could assume Daniel is safe because he had a talk with his constant, but what about Locke? Did he somehow find his constant during all this? And if so, who or what was it? Or was he simply having a nosebleed while off screen? Uh, I love that because I I do love the insinuation that Daniel isn't getting the nosebleeds because he connected with Desmond. Mm. Is Locke's constant as simple as the island? It could be, right? I think we talked about this in the constant that... You know, I think the ending of the concert works better when Daniel Faraday, Desmond is not literally Faraday's constant. It's just this idea of like being able to find someone who can also get unstuck in time that is able to to anchor him. To that point, could Faraday have tried to find Charlotte's constant if that is indeed why his nose is not bleeding, right? Like, could he have saved the lives of everyone by being like, I need you to find a constant, something in your life right now as you're doting back and forth in time to anchor you to your current timeline? Yeah, he didn't try. He was too scared. He was too panicked. Uh, He wasn't able to do it. Um, Uh, But I like this idea that Locke is connected to the island, and maybe it's this idea of, like, once you find your constant, your purpose is sort of you know, finalized. Well, it makes sense, right? Because when Locke wakes up in the sideways, what gets him to wake up is the uh, the return of sensation. Right, in, the, ting- the tingle of the toes. You know, so that's like really connecting him back to the island. So yeah, I think Locke, if anything, is like, you know, we, we talked about this last week uh, where he, he is just like deeply determined, uh, where everyone else is kind of panicked. Locke is not panicked. He knows what to do. He's very sure in his uh you know final hours on the island um so yeah i think like there is that like constant component to john that um i would connect to the island uh yeah. that's how that's how i would uh no. how i would pin it i mean i think um, that makes sense as well because yeah we talked about how like he is the most confident he has ever been in this first stretch of season five ben's gone he's been given control and so i think it makes sense from like a mental perspective he feels incredibly grounded despite everything moving on around him, whereas everyone else is losing their minds. Right. And so it also wouldn't make sense. And that's another thing with Daniel. Maybe that's the thing with Daniel Faraday as well, right? Like he is relatively composed as much as Daniel Faraday can be because he realizes the circumstances. They're sort of cool under pressure because they are most anchored to their own concepts. With Faraday, I think it's this idea of time travel and temporal displacement. With Locke, it's just like, believe in the island and the island shall give back to you. Um, this is from Snorri Jonsson, uh, who writes in and says, how could man in black appear as Christian in the distant past? It's a theory. Um, the theory goes, maybe Locke didn't travel to the past like Sawyer and company when he fell down the well. There's no denying the frozen chamber is a very special place. Perhaps it doesn't operate on the same time schedule as the rest of the island. Remember at the end of Namaste, Christian talks to Sun and Lapidus at the barracks in 2007. He then leaves them and joins them later as Locke in Dead is Dead. What if in between those episodes, the man in black went to the frozen chamber to talk to Locke as Christian? If it happened in the distant past like presumed, then how could the man in black have known that Locke must find Eloise Hawking. Um, I think that that's like uh, working within what we were talking about and just like adding yeah. another couple of layers to it. Um, I'm I'm not I'm not mad at this theory. Right. If we're, if we're sort of like tracking, you know, the travel in the man of black, I think we'll get into that more with Namaste and Dead is Dead of like tracking what his his journey is. I mean, it's also possible, right? Like the wheel is stuck at the moment. I would. I think it's. I think it makes absolute sense. And in fact, I'm going to canonize it that the chamber in the orchid does not time travel as well because otherwise that wheel would not consistently be stuck in time 
right? Like it would materialize to other various iterations of said wheel. I think the fact that the wheel is still stuck in that position that Benjamin Linus stuck it in in 2004 is means that it just perennially exists as it did in 2004. So maybe I'm that means totally that the chamber that. itself is 2004 or what, or if it just exists in a time and space outside of everything. I hear that's the new hotness nowadays when it comes to pop culture products, but that that's what I'm thinking at the moment. Uh, this is from Matt. Matt says, one thing I've always wondered is what happens to somebody like Ben or Locke after they turn the frozen donkey wheel. In Locke's case, he turns the wheel, let's say sometime around day 110 post-plane crash, and he's immediately transported to Tunisia in 2007. Are there any theories about what happens to Locke's physical form during this time? Does he just not exist for three years? I would say yes. He just doesn't exist for three years. We talked about this during during The Shape of Things to Come, because Ben appears several months after everything in 2005 so i think it's just a matter of his body gets transported through time uh, is what it is i don't i don't think it's that like oh there's a john Locke living in purgatory for three years until Correct. he comes out of his coma rip van winkle style it's just that the the orchid sends the island blipping through time and so that person is also going to be sent through time and sort of like spit out at a certain point in time in the desert um, one last one. This is from Eric Divestein. Um, Eric writes in and says, The character of Charlotte seems like such a miss. I think there was some potentially interesting stuff in her backstory, but it never really came together in a satisfying way. What should they have done differently with Charlotte? So I, I mentioned a couple of suggestions. Uh, you know, I think if you somehow elongate the period of time where she is doting back and forth and her memories might help. Because I think the honest thing is that we just didn't get to know her. Besides the fact that she speaks languages, what do we know about Charlotte up to this point? I think if you expand on diving into her backstory, I think also if you honestly give her and Daniel Faraday more to do together, the entire season four, we had Daniel having a little bit of puppy love for Charlotte. And we even talked about this in season five, right? We're like, where is this Charlotte coming from? I think what she needed, ironically enough, was time. But I know they want to go for the shock of Charlotte dying in episode five, maybe. But I think, unfortunately, in their kind of hurry up to make a big death happen, they sort of had to eschew a bunch of character development to make us care about this character dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think that that is what happened. Unfortunately, I'm not wild about it, but it is what it is. Let's do uh, let's do the 23 points, Mike. Let's do those MVPs and LVPs. You've got three MVPs. I've got three LVPs. Start us off. All right. Well, we got to give it to the man of the hour here. I guess we're, I'm three for three and giving points to John Locke. I'm, I'm, I'm coming with you. Yeah, I mean, John has a, a very important role in this episode. He stops everyone from dying of time sickness. Sorry, Charlotte, but everyone else survives uh, because of what John Locke does. He also like has to do it because he's able to keep the timeline essentially intact. But I think what Locke is, is able to do is, uh, is incredibly big. And it's something that he's been in pursuit of the past few episodes. I think this, I think it's, it's no coincidence that Locke starts a string of MVP points. Cause I think conviction wise and action wise, this might be the strongest Locke has ever been. Yeah, I'll I'll just sign off on all of that. I love Terry O'Quinn in the, in these past few episodes. I really love him here. 
the whole like when uh he says like when james is like do you want me to help you you know go down the road and he's like where would be the fun in that and it's another <laughs> great gif of him just like sort of like wiping his face with his like sweaty shoulder uh i think it's, it's just like terry o'quinn is like both like playful and sad like he's just running the full emotional gamut of john locke here um and we're just like even though it's it's so sad i i just i love the journey of the death of john locke uh mm-hmm. i do think it's one of the best story like I, and i know this is controversial some people hate it i think it's one of the best stories on lost uh is the way that they play this the way that they're like very like unceremonial about it in in some uh capacities but the ways in which i think it's ultimately uh uh worked into like there being like a brighter note like uh the power of people when they leave you um i think is a really beautiful message that i think that they are able to convey with such a such an incredible uh masterclass actor so yeah uh john Locke gets two mvp points this week one from you one from me uh so i'm gonna give my second to jen look i don't know if it's a quan centered episode or not but i gotta give a quan some love here and jen does stop danielle Rousseau from going down into those tunnels uh, so he saves her and saves Alexandra in the process. So yeah, I'm I'm gonna give him a point here because he does a a good job. He also does a pretty good job of like anchoring himself in the time travel stuff. Like he's able to survive everything that happened in the 80s. Uh, and I gotta give credit to Jin there. Um, I'm gonna give an MVP point to the smoke monster. Uh, the plan is in effect. Uh, and even if you quibble with any of the interpretations of the smoke monster's master plan, uh, then if nothing else. He killed Montand. <laughs> yes, thank you. You did what any of us would do in that situation, Smokey. And for that, we thank you. Speaking of Smokey, I'm going to go with my final MVP point to the only person to evade Smokey's influence. Come on down, young Danielle Rousseau. You're getting a point for me because she's able to survive. She has to go through this heartbreaking process of killing her husband and baby's father uh you know it's it's a traumatic incident that turns her into the person that we saw from seasons one to four and so i give her a lot of credit for going through an incredibly harrowing experience uh i have three lvps i'm just gonna dump them all on montan and <laughs> his arm his arm his his head everything Ooh, I like about this. Yeah, one, one for his arm one for yeah. his mouth yes. one for his stupid body yeah i hate him uh, I hate Montand. Uh, I'm I'm glad that we only have to deal with him for such a short period of time. You know what? I'll I'll go with like the Frogert uh, memorial stuff. He has negative four. Let's make it a, an even negative four for Montand as well for another annoying character who gets unceremoniously killed. I'll add one point there. My other LVP point. I'm going to go to the other Russo. I'm going to Robert Russo because look, I know he's infected, but he does try to kill his wife and his daughter. He does. He does. So, sorry, Robert. And maybe yes. this is also me taking a page from Josh. He dies. So, you know what? That's also partial credit. Correct. Um, all right. So, there you have it. Uh, John Locke is currently leading the pack. Wow! Um, Look at this! John it's Locke. Been, I don't think this has ever happened before. John Locke in the front. He's running out of time. You know, he really, <laughs> yeah, he really only... One, he has, like, one more episode before we go into the Sideways universe. Yeah, he's got one more one more episode in which John Locke is going to be able to qualify for MVP points, and then you got to put them all on Smoke Monster anytime you're giving one to Terry O'Quinn. Uh, uh, no, unless you count the Sideways stuff as well. No, right? I know. Like, I mean in Season 5 specifically. Um, mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a really strong start for him in... Season five, is he going to have uh, a strong enough episode in Jeremy Bentham that's going to like push him forward even more in this regard? Yeah, I don't I'm know. Curious. He's, he's, he's going to earn some LVP points, I think, for getting tricked by Ben. That's for sure. 
I don't know. I I I'm, I have a hard time blaming him there. He's like tried so hard. I think I think I'm going to be very courteous to John Locke uh, in his in his death episode. I don't think that there's any other way for me to be able to play that. I just feel too bad for him. Um, all right, so that's that's going to be that's this place's death next week. Three one six. We'll talk about three one six coming out six eighteen six sixteen for the patrons of post show recap. Sign up patreon.com slash post show recaps to get down the hatch a little bit early. Uh, get your feedback in down the hatch at post show recaps dot com. Um, Mike, I hear you've been talking lost with people other than me, and I'm slightly envious. <laughs> I was going to say, like, is this the confrontation now? Are you yes. like Jack with Kate? Of, yes. Who What's are, going on? What are you doing? Who were you on the phone with? Yes. yes. Who so is that? I need to know. I had the pleasure of uh, being on the podcast Hot Mess Moments uh, with Dylan and Beth, Beth Dixon, who some people might know in the RHAP circles as one of the co-hosts of the RuPaul's Drag Race recap. But they have a really fun podcast called Hot Mess Moments, where these are two really good friends, and every week... They sh- they watch an episode of the other person's favorite show of all time. So Beth watches an episode of Dylan's favorite show of all time, which is Lost. And Dylan watches an episode of Beth's favorite show of all time, which is The Nanny. So <laughs> I had the distinct pleasure. I got Mr. to be the v- Sheffield. Exactly. I had to be the very. I got to be the very first guest on Hot Mess Moments. Very, uh, very happy about that. Where, uh, you know, they they were going through season one in the moment, and Beth told me like, okay, you have several episodes you can choose between. Basically, you can choose between Raised by Another, All the Best Cowboys Have Daddy Issues, uh, you know, whatever the case may be, in Hearts and Minds, and I'm like. Give me all the best daddies right now, please. I think by by comparison, I want that ASAP. So it was super fun. Really, I, I encourage people to check out the podcast just to get Beth's like ever going thoughts and theories on the show. Uh, you know, we come from the perspective of having seen the entire product, but this is Beth sort of taking us all back to those moments in 2004, right when we're watching it live and we're like. What the hell could be going on? Who's who are the others? What does infection mean? What's this hatch? It's really fun to hear Ben, uh, to hear Beth sort of talk that out. And obviously, this is a big episode, right? This is the one that introduces the hatch. This is the one where Charlie nearly dies. So be sure to check that out. We also watched an episode of The Nanny, which I have seen, but I you could not pay me to remember a morsel of what happened with The Nanny. So for all intents and purposes, that was so my first time. So you don't remember time. when Fran and Mr. Sheffield uh, finally like confessed their love to each other and start making out during a plane crash, uh, not unlike uh, a plane crash that you would find on Lost? Wait, did that actually happen? The, the the plane doesn't really crash, I don't believe, but there's turbulence. Yeah, that's where it happens. So it was like, um, uh, what is it? Uh, it's like almost famous. Yeah, I was guessing, just like the almost famous moment, right? Yeah, of like and then the, it gets, I think it gets a little awkward for a while, but ultimately they do consummate the thing and they end up getting married. And if you're starting to feel a little bad for Cece uh, being left uh, jilted by Mr. Sheffield, don't feel too bad because she and Niles end up together. Yeah, see, this is how much I didn't know about the nanny that I referred to Cece in my notes as Julie Bowen, uh, and that's the only thing I called her throughout the podcast. So if you want to check out both my super casual thoughts on the nanny and Beth's growing theories on all the best daddies and lost at large, check that out, Hot Mess Moments. I think if if you're listening to this on a Friday, I believe it should be out. But yeah, this was my first opportunity to really talk a lot of lost outside of Down the Hatch, and I had 
a lot of fun getting to do so, especially, I mean, it was tough, Josh, to keep my, my lid trap shut. You know how much I love to talk, and it's obviously a spoiler-free podcast, so I just had to sit there and nod as Beth was going into her theories about things. Gotta be cool. You gotta keep it cool. Spoiler-free. I'm impressed. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. This sounds like a fun show. People should go and seek it out. And in addition, they should seek out the next episode of Down the Hatch when it arrives, because we... <laughs> Are going back. We have to go back. We're going back. Jack is back. Kate is back. Hurley is back. And um, we will find out how that goes. Now, Saeed is back somewhere. Uh, Sun is also back somewhere. Uh, but we won't uh, see L- what happens body to them. wearing Christian Shepard's shoes is back somewhere. Next week, we're getting an all-time line. Uh, there are a couple of things. We're getting a really great Matthew Fox performance. Uh, so, incredible things are happening next week on down the hatch we will be back take care everybody bye-bye